0: Joe Rogan
1: Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience.
0: Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night. All day. You ate meat tobacco? We're up in one. Oh. Tell me
2: about this. Well, I was, I was just- telling the story the other day. Um <laughs> <laughs> when I was in-swallow I was just telling the story. Because we, we we had a we had a bunch of the guys I work with, uh, and then this other dude, Jared Outlaw, who are all Big Dip, guys. We were having a conversation about Dip. Is Jared
0: I, the f- the flip flop flesher? No, no, no. no that's no, Seth. no.
2: That's a guy named Seth. That's all right. of, a lot of the guys I used to work with, or not a lot of the guys I work with, did uh, and do. You know, they're horrible tobacco Dippers. addicts. Dip. Yeah, because they're all workers, so they they don't smoke because it keeps their hands free. Um, but I was explaining to them my aversion, and I and I feel like it traces to. When I was in fifth grade, we had to make agricultural maps of the United States of America, and you had to glue the pro, you know like the products. So like you get to South Dakota, and you glue like a little corn kernel.
0: Right, I remember those. Yeah,
2: put some wheat, you know. Yeah. Uh, and for whatever reason, like for for Virginia, we had tobacco, and someone had brought in. I can't remember what it was. Like must have been loose leaf or plug. And uh, me and my buddy. Uh, I don't know if this dude remembers me, and my buddy Stanley Johnson. Um, ate, we took it out in the playground and ate some. <laughs> and I, dude, I, I was, I was, I hallucinated twice as a child. <laughs> once on, uh, once when I had to get a root canal. Um, and once when we ate that tobacco. I mean, I was, I was, no, I was hallucinating. What were you seeing? I can't remember. My mom had to come get me. <laughs> She had to come fetch me from school. How old were you? Fifth grade. Oh, wow. Unbelievably sick.
0: When I was in, I guess it was uh, seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade, I really got into Tom Sawyer. Tom oh. Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. I, yeah. I read all his books. And uh, they were always chewing tobacco, so I bought some. <laughs> And uh, I tried it, and I got very yeah. sick. Just like drool <sighs> pouring out of my mouth. You know, like you get that, that drooling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that, that set me off from chewing tobacco.
2: I didn't know. You, so you were a Mark Twain fan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you, Have you had your kids read Mark Twain?
0: Um, No, I haven't. No. No, I would, though. It's a conversation yeah, starter. It certainly is. Yeah, I mean, when you when you find out about... I mean, I don't know how into history they are, but when you just get into the... Just the, the history of people mm-hmm. and, and the history of people in, in the United States and the, those those books are fascinating books in that regard. You know, Mark Twain is like widely regarded as the first stand-up comedian. Oh, I'd buy that. Yeah, because he used to read his books that were humorous in front of people. Oh. And yeah. and people think that that kind of started out the idea of stand-up comedy.
2: Yeah, and he was quick-witted too. Yeah. That's good. Uh and
0: then there's the name Mark Twain, which I learned from you what it meant.
2: Yeah, we covered this all the time. Yeah. It's uh shall I share? Yeah, sure, share it for. So, course. well th- recently there has been some controversy introduced into this, but Mark Twain was ha- had worked as a riverboat pilot on the Mississippi. Um so he had a very informed perspective for all of his characters. Uh a riverboat required 12 feet of water. You know, the big paddle wheel riverboats required 12 feet of water for safe passage. So there would be a guy up on the front of the boat who'd have a rope with a weight on the end. And every fathom, a fathom is a nautical term for six feet, he'd have a knot tied in the rope every fathom. And he'd throw the weight out, weight hits the bottom, and you see how deep the water is. So Mark Twain is second Mark. Which is 12 feet. 12 feet. So he describes like you're going through the fog or in the dark, and there's some guy up front going, Mark Twain. Some other guy, we recently, someone sent into us, because we were discussing this on our our podcast, and and, uh, a guy sent us in this book. I can't remember who the hell wrote the book, but he was saying the real thing is Mark Twain, when he was out, I think when he was out visiting one of the silver mines in Nevada, maybe, he took going to go into a bar and the bar would log how many drinks you had on a chalkboard okay so it's like your tab in this book this guy was saying what happened was Twain whose name was whose birth name was Samuel Clemens Twain would come in and order two drinks by saying Mark Twain meaning mm. put me down for, for two marks hmm so Twain Twain means two? Two.
0: I'm going to th- start throwing that around. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that used as twain. two. Have you ever heard anybody use it as two? Is
2: no. that like a forgotten terminology? I don't know. But I bet Jamie's looking it up right now.
3: Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here it goes. I've been on this that show that second one came out. That rumor came out. I guess he was still alive, so I guess he responded to it according oh. to this article. What did he say? Um. Uh, is the nom de plume of Captain Isaiah Sellers who used to write river news for the New Orleans Picayune and he died in 1963 and he could no longer he no longer needed that signature
0: 1863
3: Sorry. So Twain
2: <clears throat> sold it from Twain from Captain Isaiah Sellers ah.
0: He said I laid violent hands upon it without asking permission of the proprietors remains that is the history of the nom de plume I bear So he stole it Interesting hmm. He no longer needed it, because the guy was dead. (laughs) (laughs) So so he took it from a dead guy. If you die,
2: I'm going to be like, my name Uh, is Joe Rogan.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. So I wanted to tell you, I had a legitimate real-life mountain lion encounter. Oh, A a big one. A huge one. I saw a real huge mountain lion up close. It was about 30 yards away. We were in a truck. And we were driving. It was right by a creek. Uh-huh. And on the other side of the creek, there was a tree. And underneath that tree was a fucking giant cat. Right. Yeah. The guy I was with, my friend Colton, he saw it first. He, just, he he goes, holy shit, look at that cat. Look at the size of that mountain lion. Huh. We stopped the truck. And I see the, the eyes glowing because it's about... Um, 7 p.m., it's just starting to get dark, and I get the binos out, and I, I got them like close up, big old pumpkin head, giant paws, was he terrifying, staring at, staring at us. Well, just staring at the truck. You yeah. know? We, he knew that there was things inside the truck, I'm sure, moving, but enormous. That's cool. Enormous. Because I told you I'd seen one before, but it was small. The one yeah. I'd seen before was like 60, 70 pounds, or like a dog size. This thing was fucking giant. That's great. Giant. It was... Terrifying
2: see so, so if you've had two sightings. That's a that's a lot. So that they're few and far between man Yeah, this was the first time I saw
0: one Clearly like not moving Stationary looking right at us the whole encounter lasted 30 seconds It was like a real view of one like a holy shit. It was so big man. That's good. It, it had enormous forearms that was the crazy. Like, I was looking at its arms. It's standing there, like big ass paws and this giant fucking head. who all I was thinking is, like, if I wasn't in this truck, if I was out on the road, if I was out walking, and I saw that thing from that close,
2: <laughs> It scared the shit oh out of you. Oh my god! Bit. <laughs>
0: oh my god! In Utah, you can get a tag for them over the counter, spot and stock for fifty bucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to get a tag with hounds. Oh it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's draw, it takes a yeah, while. Yeah, I think
2: they even the states that um the states that like Washington used to have a hound season and they lost it to the animal rights activists. Um, but they still maintain their their uh regular hunting season.
0: Texas treats them like coyotes.
2: Yeah.
0: You just whack them.
2: You, there's there's a happy middle ground. Yeah. There's a happy middle I I think that um I think, the that, that a, I think the states that manage them as think the states that manage as a big game animal are on the right track. You know.
0: Yeah, the states that don't do anything about them, like California, then you get a case like a couple of weeks ago. A five year old kid got bitten by a mountain lion in Calabasas. His mom had to punch the thing in the face. Mm. And you know, the kids in the hospital. The thing bit his fucking head.
2: Yeah, and it was weird. A couple ninety of su- pound cat two summers ago. Well, you and know I might have talked about this two summers ago. Oregon. Washington had its first mountain lion fatality in state history in the same summer. Oregon had its first mountain lion fatality in like ninety eight years. Yeah, in the same summer. And how were they managed up there? like I said, Washington used to have oh, right. they yeah. had a highland season, but you can still just get a tag i I, I was communicating with a guy who is developing a a mountain lion hunting strategy that's pretty ingenious. He goes out the same way. He goes out the same way a hound hunter will go out. When there's a fresh snow, he'll go out and drive roads, drive logging roads, whatever, and and cut a track. But instead of setting his dogs out on the track, he'll just start tracking the lion.
0: Just walking.
2: Yep. And every time he gets to, like, a good piece of bedding cover, like a a grown-up clear cut or a canyon, he gets to a good piece of bedding cover, he stops and turns his predator collar on. Oh Jesus! And calls, and he was he was let he was writing us in saying how he's been trying. it. I'm like that's a pretty genius idea. But really, explain to people what a predator caller. Oh, is. Oh, so you can a predator caller is a pretty broad term. It just it just you can do it a mouth blown predator call, which mimics the sound typically of a dying animal. Um, so. So the most, if you just went into a, a sporting goods store and walked up to a shelf and bought a mouth blown predator call, it would probably mimic the sound of a dying rabbit. You can get like jackrabbit, cottontail rabbit, and it's, it's just a horrific sound. It's like, wee, wee, wee you know. Um, then they have electronic callers that have these massive libraries. So I have an electronic caller. I think my, I have a Lucky Duck electronic caller. And it's got a library of dozens and dozens of sounds. So it's like you can have it play um, woodpeckers in distress. I mean, anything really? imaginable. Oh, yeah. It's like house cat noises, which oh, is attractive wow. to urban coyotes. Plays oh, a vast, wow. uh, yeah, a vast library of sounds. Um, so he would go and turn a predator caller on. And a lot of times, um, like fawn distress calls, um, it's just like loud, excitable noises that are attractive to predators. Um, and eventually he wrote in that he he said he sat down, turned his collar on, and, you know, I, I actually say turned his collar on. I don't know if he's using an electronic, like a battery-powered caller or a mouth-blown call, but either way, he said, you know, within a minute, there's the lion. And he got him.
0: Did you see the guy who was uh, trying to scare a mountain lion off He's telling him, get the fuck out of here, fuck you, he's got a Glock pointed at it, and then he shoots it? Uh-uh. You didn't see that? No, nor did I I see something that's floating around of
2: a dude with a machete killing one off his dog.
0: Oh, my God. I haven't seen that one. Well,
2: we were going to publish it. We were going to publish it on our website because it hadn't been widely distributed. Is it brutal? I guess it's just too much. I never saw it. I was away. I just came back and heard that we had decided not to do it because it's just like, yeah. And
0: you didn't immediately
2: watch it? I still haven't gotten around to watching it. Wow. Your willpower is better than mine, yeah, so um I, well it just so one of my colleagues spencer he he he's got a he and I share an appreciation for those kind of sordid videos, and uh yeah, I got to ask him for it. Watch this because this is pretty crazy. oh, look at it, you I mean get
0: back, you get back back ah, ah, ah.
2: he's practicing no. a lot of restraint.
0: Yeah. No. Oh. Mother. I just had to shoot this mountain lion. It f***ing pounced at me and I popped it in the f***ing face. Hmm. Oh, holy shit. That's wild. Holy I mean shit. that is close. What do you think that is? 10 yards? Oh my god. If that? It was close. Oh my god.
2: Yeah. See. Oh my god. He'll report himself probably and they'll do like an investigation. Holy sh- and he'll definitely...
0: Oh, he'll get he'll, off for sure. Yeah, I mean, that, look how close... It, go have, back to that. Look how close have, that is. Yeah, that's amazing, That's man. not even 10 yards. I mean, that might be fucking five yards.
2: No, it's yeah, feet. Oh, you know Yanni had a, a... big one, too. You know, look how Giannis, big that thing is. See, I disagree.
0: You don't think that's 90 pounds, 100 pounds? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. It's not big. Like The one I saw was like a buck 60. Yannis had but several of them to come into you. his
2: turkey call this year. Ooh. Yeah, had a three-pack come in. Jesus. A female, two uh, of her kits. Came into the turkey call. What did he do? You know, I don't know what he did. He didn't freak out. He kind of—I sh- think he shooed him off or started talking to him.
0: Oh Jesus!
2: Yeah, because he was calling to a turkey, and the the lions were kind of coming from behind, off to the his right side, and he was—he's not certain whether they were going to pass by his right shoulder on the way to the real turkey, or if they were going to him. Mm. What else is funny that just happened to him this spring? He shoots, he has this on video. He shoots a turkey. Well, he has the lions on video too. They're on his. He's got them on his Instagram, but he shoots a turkey and all of a sudden, I mean, no sooner does that turkey get hit that a, t- a coyote has it and is running away, <laughs> trying to grab it. Wow. Or should they run away? Trying to like wrestle the turkey. So did you shoot the coyote? No, but he's just standing there, and the coyote was because co- you know they'll come into the turkey sounds, so shoots the turkey. The coyote comes out, and then the coyote doesn't run off until he kind of goes at it to spook it. But it stayed right there, like while he shot the turkey.
0: They are so fucking bold, those things. Yeah, they're I, so
2: clever too. They come in. Um, one of my buddies, Seth, I think they called in three coyotes turkey hunting in one day this spring. Wow. I've had, I've had. Bears, black bears, bobcats. Oh, sorry, black, a black, a black bear, a bobcat, many coyotes come in to turkey calls. But I have never had the lion thing. But I got a few friends that have done lions, and I feel that that is like the greatest. That's a good achievement.
0: Did you? Were you the one who told me the story about turkey hunting where you you heard something behind you and it was a bear? Was yeah, that you. Yeah, I yeah. heard it
2: exhale. I didn't know it was there until it exhaled in my ear. <sighs> How far away? I mean, inches. Me to you. Oh, Jesus. No, I'm not joking, man. Like, <laughs> exhaled in my ear. It was like he got there and couldn't figure out what was going on. I also heard him go. And I turned and just, yeah.
0: Ooh, how big was he?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I honestly didn't. It was so, like, freaky, disconcerting and he was gone so fast. But, uh yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to say.
0: I think that all these people that vote against mountain lion hunting and Mm -hmm. have this perception of mountain lions need to be around one. They need to experience that just to understand that those things need to be managed or they will kill your kids. Like you really need to see it.
2: I don't know that they – I mean it's so seldom that they do.
0: No, it's not going to happen. No. Like it's not a realistic adventure.
2: I I think that – I just think, yeah, in in my view – if they're well managed, I, I just in my view, like they, they, they should just they they need to be managed as a renewable resource,
0: right? But see that term, why, renewable. Why, what's what the, the shooting star? star. <laughs> this guy it just came with the the setup. When well, we bought these star panels, they they have the option for a shooting star. We thought it'd be cool. Oh yeah, one shot over the. De- but you, the look the look that people get when they're not sure what's going on.
2: You know, Twain was born the year of Halley's comet and died when the Halley's comet came back, and he predicted that he would die. Whoa. He came with the comet and left with the comet. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Back to Mount...
0: That term renewable resources, like that's a good term. Like you use that term as, as a hunter and as a conservationist, but most people... The problem is like the people that vote right mm-hmm. like like a good example is british columbia right Yeah, because uh british columbia bans grizzly hunting because mm-hmm. they think grizzly hunting is trophy hunting meanwhile they're like overrun with grizzlies they have yeah. a lot of grizzlies and they would manage them by controlling their population it would you know it would keep people from getting attacked it would keep livestock from getting attacked and the encounters were frequent like my front my friend mike lives up there and he's like there is no shortage of grizzly bears like they're all over the place up here He goes, and now what they've done is they've stopped people from managing them because the people in the cities who never have any encounters with them whatsoever think that it's unsightly to hunt them, but they allow black bear hunting because black bear seems to be uh, something that people actually do eat, but then you can't gut them because if you gut them, they're worried that people are shooting them just for their gallbladders.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: it's wild.
2: Yeah, for a long time you couldn't have a gallbladder in your possession. And that you crazy You couldn't even you couldn't even use your own bear's gallbladder. But here's the here's the problem that I see. If you Okay, ducks don't kill people generally. <laughs> I'm Imagine sure someone will. somewhere. Oh, you know what I was reading the other day, this state uh, this state has more animal deaths more by far and away Texas has more people killed by animals than any other state.
0: Well, there's more tigers in captivity in Texas than in all the wild of the world.
2: You know, it winds up being dogs. Dogs kill people here? Are the number one. Really? Yeah. What dogs, kind of dogs? Domestic, like, feral dogs, domestic dogs. Feral dogs? Yeah, dogs kill. So, you, yeah, like, Texas, yeah, like, North Dakota and Rhode Island had, like, <laughs> had like zero animal deaths. Very low populations, because one's, one's small and one because one's barely... You know, it has a very low population density of humans, and one just small enough to not have that many citizens. But yeah, Texas number one, California's a distant second. Um, wild pigs, dogs, rattlesnakes. But but here's the thing: ducks don't kill people. Far, you know, generally. If someone, if, if you're going to go around and determine what we should be allowed to hunt based on what might kill you if we don't hunt it, I would be worried about the future of duck hunting.
0: Well, no, I wouldn't say that.
2: So I just am yeah. I, I'm no, I'm, more I'm inclined not... to be like, if you have, like, just in, in my desire to make, in my desire to sort of bracket things, I would say if you have um, sustainable, harvestable populations of wildlife, and you have a public interest in exploiting that wildlife, and it can be an exploited without long-term detriment to the species— that should be allowed.
0: That's very reasonable. But ducks are on menus in restaurants. Grizzly bears are not. The the, the difference is mm-hmm. people don't think of grizzly bears as something that you would eat. Ducks That's correct. Ducks are, at, you know, Peking ducks, common dish. Yeah. You know, ducks are in a lot of restaurants.
2: No, I was very sad. Uh, I was very sad to see what happened in BC, and I, I think it's emotionally charged. I think you're seeing the same thing. You know, you see routinely the same thing around wolves. Um... I just, just this morning, someone shared an article, uh, Montana just rewrote some of their wolf hunting rules and and expanded some areas. And and they used to have outside of Yellowstone national park, they had hunting districts. that had these very strict quotas. They liberalized wolf hunting in Montana because we have a lot of wolves. Um, and there's a pack of, in in Yellowstone's Lamar Valley, there's a pack of 24 wolves, um, And three of those wolves this year have been killed outside the park. So now you you can expect renewed calls for the park's jurisdiction to extend further away from the edges of the park in order to protect that, because people will routinely call them Yellowstone's wolves Mm. rather than Montana's wolves.
0: Yeah, that is an interesting situation, right, because you have this park that everyone visits, And, you know, I went there and I took a selfie with the elk. Mm -hmm. They're hanging out in front of a Pepsi machine because it's so bizarre.
2: Did you get a bunch of social media backlash? No, I didn't put it up. Oh. Oh.
0: (laughs) No, I just took it, just took the picture because I just thought it was so strange. that we're all just standing there and there's elk just lying down on the ground.
2: Yeah, completely habituated humans. Yeah. They've done a great job of restoring natural predators to the landscape, but they overlooked one which is the human predator. So you had, I don't know, 9,000 years at a minimum. This is just based on direct uh, archaeological evidence. You have 9,000 years of human hunters on the landscape in Yellowstone National Park, the, the last 100 years notwithstanding. We've gone through great effort to restore natural predators, to that ecosystem. But... um Not humans. Not that one. (laughs) Not that we don't have a very heavy hand in Yellowstone. We have, I mean, humans have an enormously heavy hand in Yellowstone. What I used to, what I wanted to do when I retired, I used to want to campaign. This is not going to make a hell of a lot of sense to people, but I wanted to campaign to make Hunter's Orange laws standardized around the country. Not like, Mm. not with a federal law, but just get all states on board. Yeah, because like, uh, in some states, you have to have 400 inches of blaze orange when you're hunting with a firearm. Some states, it's like 500 inches of blaze orange. Some states, it's no blaze orange. In Wyoming, you got to have an orange hat. I was going to be like, I was going to dedicate my life to making it be that all states adopted the Wyoming rule. Only hat. Orange
0: hat. You think that's enough? Yeah, I do. Is if it, you want to wear more, wear more. Is all orange, does that work if you have color
2: blindness? I have no idea
0: interesting, right? I wonder what that means. I don't even know what what they see.
2: But let me tell you what I'm going to do now when oh, I retire. Okay. Go ahead. No, I'll get back. Are you going to retire?
0: Gonna... You're not going to retire. No,
2: but when I do retire, I'm going to campaign. I'm going to campaign. I'm going to make it my life's work to have Yellowstone National Park turned into a wilderness area. Really? Yeah. All Is the infrastructure. I'm going to fight hard. I need, a, I need a slogan for it. That's as catchy as make America great again.
0: But isn't the problem that those animals are so habituated? They're so used to humans that it's almost like it would take a long time. Remember when it like, take about a year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One year? Yeah. And then they figure it out. Yeah.
2: yeah. Like ter- like I don't want to enter I don't want to mess up travel. So the highways that cut through there would stay open, but most of the infrastructure would go. Wildlife management would go to the states of Wyoming and Montana and it would become a wilderness area. And then it's very it's like That's a great designation because in a wilderness area, it it would enjoy greater protections than it has as a national park. How so? Federally designated wilderness is non motorized.
0: Oh, I see. But wouldn't that cut down on tourist dollars?
2: Oh, yeah. We'd learned it. We had to figure something else out. Uh. (laughs) Listen, weed's going legal in Montana. Is it? Yeah. So uh, So there's a bunch of money. money. (laughs) <laughs> I'll figure that out. I have. I got. You know, when I retire, I, when I retire, I'll get all the details sorted out. But I just think it's time to like restore the human predator.
0: When I first, went it's up time tomorrow. to do
2: what's right on that landscape and protect it.
0: That's an interesting way of looking at it. So protect it from vehicles too,
2: because that that is an issue in that area, right? Yeah, just quiet, just mellow things out, quiet things down, mm. and um, and restore the human predator. I just got to think of a sweet uh, it's slogan. Such,
0: it's such a massive place for tourist dollars. I mean so many people visit Yellowstone every year just to look at the animals and mm-hmm. occasionally get knocked through the air by a buffalo. hmm Those bison videos where people get too close, those are fucking hilarious because they happen every year. Yeah. People go flying through the air and flip and land
2: on their head. <laughs> uh to return to Hunter's Orange. Yeah. You had a question about Hunter's Orange. About being colorblind? Yeah. I don't know, but um, um the the whitetail hunter
0: Oh, here it is. Can deer see an orange? Well, that's deer.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. listen. Here, here's, here's the thing. God, God, bless you, Jamie. But, um. uh Lots been written about what deer see. It, it's just, it's just speculation, you know. Because their see.
0: eyeballs function very. differently. Yeah, it's just it,
2: different. So, how, what they see and how they respond to it. But, uh, for, interestingly, um. Mark Canyon, who's a very avid whitetail hunter. Uh, he can't blood trail,
0: because he can't see blood.
2: Yeah, because of colorblind issues. Oh wow! Yep.
0: that's crazy. What if he has like? What if he uses? I might like, be a messing a up. Maybe light. it's his
2: dad. No, I think it is him that can't. Yeah, he's, he got no. He's got to use various tricks or bring someone in, but he can't like clearly pick up blood. Huh. And as in uh, in blood trailing for me now that my eyeballs are going bad, short range. Um. Do you use glasses? reading glasses but when you blood trail i hadn't thought of it i just because it gets it it, my my eyes get worse every day now like not every day but i mean it's like it's it's noticeable do you take with this year blood trailing i was getting i i I had a younger person with me the flip-flop flusher and he was spotting 10 drops to my one and i realized it's like i'm used to looking for blood up close too much And I gotta, I gotta back up or get my damn glasses on because it's getting, it's getting harder to blood trail.
0: Have you taken any supplements for your eyes? Like there's like no, because it's only
2: right now. uh, No, I'm ready to do anything, man. It's only right now becoming a thing for me where I'm starting. It's starting to. uh, We've been talking
0: about it for a couple years.
2: I know, but now, now it's a real issue. Listen, you see this? Yeah. What's that?
0: Oh, you got glasses in the back of your fucking. Case for your phone.
2: It's yeah, not bad. Well, I let me was see in a, them.
0: Let me see them glasses. Let me see I hit a to.
2: point where I couldn't order in a dark restaurant, and I had oh. and my friend lent me those. These are so I could order.
0: These are hilarious. Dude, those are
2: great. You look cool in those too. Do it Um, and I had to use his to order, and then I used his to order a set of those.
0: These look like you've had Vaseline on your fingers and you've just been like <laughs> trying to polish them.
2: <laughs> I haven't cleaned them yet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but anyways, blood trailing's getting hard. Hunter's, yeah, Hunter's Orange, I think, is, um, you know, I, I, th- I think it's a good idea. Some states don't require it at all. Yours, the state we're sitting in right now doesn't have a Hunter's Orange law. Right.
0: Did you hear about that, um, the guy who got shot, uh, archery Hunter, got shot by a muzzleloader hunter in uh, Colorado this year?
2: This year? Yeah. I haven't heard that. <clears throat> I know it yeah. happens every year. I hadn't heard that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just got to wonder, how the fuck does a person think a person is an animal? I mean, how, mm. does, how does that ever happen?
2: Not only that, he thought he was uh, an animal, and he thought he was aiming at, at the its vitals. lungs.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean, I think the uh, archery hunter was in full camo, and this guy, uh, you know.
2: My friend Robert uh, Abernathy got shot turkey hunting. Um, really? Yeah. I, I I know a handful of people that have all been shot turkey hunting. I know one guy's been shot turkey hunting twice. In the same, Jesus Christ, in the same spot. Did he? What,
0: did he have uh, like? Was he using some fan in front of him or something like that? He no? was
2: doing what he was doing. What's a tab? He was doing something that's pretty taboo, which is he was mimicking the sound of a gobbler. He was mimicking. The, so when you're hunting turkeys in the spring, you you have to kill males, right? And you usually make a sound of a female to draw a male in. Well, he, um, you can really. You know, it can be effective to mimic the sound of a male it's like a challenge a challenge right so um you'll appreciate like like cow calling at an elk but a little bugling at elk can get him get his blood boiling he was had pulled all out of the stops and started mimicking the sound of a male and got shot Then he's hunting the same spot years later, mimics the sound of a male, gets shot by a different guy. Jesus Christ. And very different attitudes of these two different people. The one guy that shot him wanted to fight with him and blame it on him. Uh, The other guy that shot him felt so bad that he quit hunting and he had to uh, befriend him and make him comfortable to go hunting again. So one person took an adversarial (laughs) approach. To the man he shot, and one person was deeply repentant to the point where he gave up the discipline.
0: I was watching a video yesterday of a woman who rear-ended this guy in a Lamborghini and then got out and started screaming and yelling at him <laughs> that he hit her car. And the guy was laughing. Did you see that video? They show the video from the gas station. The guy's like, what the fuck are you talking? And then she gets mad at him for being white. But she's white. Isn't she white? Kind of white? I don't know. She looked white. But I mean, it was like a literal crazy person, like maybe just trying to make up an excuse for why she was in a car accident. But she clearly takes a turn, slams into this guy's car. The guy pulls over to the gas station. She gets out and knocks on his door. You hit my fucking car and screaming screaming and yelling at him. People are nuts. Like, you shoot a person, you should definitely fucking apologize because you didn't even even look. I mean, did you think that guy was a turkey?
2: The guy that got shot twice, his name is Preston Pittman. Uh... What was the story with the first one? So that's that was a good friend of mine, Robert, and who shot him? No, 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 no. Oh, the guy that got shot twice. Yeah, who shot him the first time? They wanted to fight him. I he, I don't know a lot of details about the but guy. That's that a crazy to fight him. person. Right? The guy shot him and then got mad at him for making a gobble.
0: But he didn't even look. Yeah. That's what's so crazy.
2: Saw movement. Listen, man, you know uh, how bad did he get shot? Twenty gauge. I can't remember. But yeah, he got bad, penetrated his skin. He got bad. Like in, in in his skin. My friend Robert that got shot, he was saying to me, he was saying, we we're talking about we we're talking about what size shot, like what size shotgun pellets you used to hunt turkeys. Robert Abernathy was saying to me how he's like, man, um, I don't I can't remember what size it was. There's like a large pellet, maybe twos or something. And he said, You shouldn't be able to use those. Those things hurt. I'm like, what do you mean those things hurt? He goes, that's what I got shot with. He was hunting, and he was <laughs> sitting there listening for a gobbler, and he there was a stump in front of him. And he said that he lifted his foot up and put his foot on the stump. And all of a sudden, bam! Someone shoot him in the foot? Yeah, in in, in conversation with the man that shot his leg, the man said to him, when you lifted your foot up on that stump, It looked like a gobbler going into full strut.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, that guy's blinder than you.
2: (laughs) No, listen, man, I'm only blind up close. (laughs) It's just yeah. So
0: God, it's just so crazy that people just pull the trigger on a movement.
2: Yeah, Uh, you know, I can't listen. I I definitely can't like
0: can't condone it. But you kind of I don't
2: I don't condone it. Um. I, I, I don't condone it. When I hear something like that, though, to be honest with you, one of my first, I have twin feelings. Um, one of condemnation of the individual and one of like some level of, you know, like a level of sympathy. Didn't one of your friends get shot through the backpack by a rifle hunter? Yeah. What happened there? He was uh, deer hunting in Washington. Got shot through his backpack. That guy got in trouble. The guy that <laughs> shot him through his backpack got in trouble.
0: He fucking should. Um, Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah, I probably told him My dad got shot in the foot. Not on it. He he just got shot in the foot. Rabbit hunting. Um. But that was an accident, right? That wasn't a mistaken identity. That was just the guy thumbing with the yeah. hammer on his shotgun and shot him in the foot. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know you know when you and I were talking about, but you said you wanted to talk about it now. Yeah, is the COVID in deer?
0: Yeah, the deer are testing positive for COVID, mm-hmm. and they don't really understand why,
2: right? Isn't that correct? Uh, no, and and they, I mean, they've done hundreds of deer in multiple states. I think I think it was Michigan had the highest, like sixty eight percent of the deer they checked, and they checked, you know, over a hundred of them. Isn't that incredible? Because that's
0: more than any population of humans yeah. like at, at any point in time what's the population of humans that test positive for COVID I mean it can't be just are they're testing they're, they're,
2: they're positive for the antibodies
0: no I mean oh positive for the antibodies yeah. oh but not positive for COVID not
2: positive oh. and they don't know that it has any they don't know that it has any effect on them huh. so when I first heard that I I, I an air a biologist, a wildlife biologist in Arizona named James Heffelfinger sent me some information about that. When I first heard it, I was like, Yeah, man, but maybe that maybe you know, maybe it's something that was always there, but you weren't looking for it, or there's a false marker. And he wrote back with a bunch of information on it and they had all these serums that they've banked from over the years.
0: Serums meaning like blood samples? Yeah.
2: They have, they have Reserve like banked blood samples from deer, probably just for this sort of thing, right? Right. And when they go back pre-COVID and look at all these deer samples, it's not there. Wow. And now it's there.
0: That's so fascinating.
2: We're laughing that it all comes. I I was joking that that uh, it's either like a really good hunter who gets very close to deer. Um, that's one theory. Probably not right. I had a theory (laughs) that it comes from Doug Duran's urine. But Did man, he have COVID? Buckman juice. I don't think he's had it, but I know that his his urine is very attractive to deer. <laughs> and, but he
0: hasn't had COVID, so that doesn't work.
2: Yeah, and I thought maybe maybe it came from Doug.
0: My whole family he li- got he COVID. Lives in,
2: he, he's like a he's like a deer man. He's around deer all the time. Um, but I, I don't really I don't get it. Another and I ha- I have no way to know him, Another thing I could picture. Um, I don't know that this is true. One, if I was in charge of examining this, a thing that I would be curious to look at would be captive servants, uh, which are in very close proximity to people. Which is also how they spread CW yeah, CWD. Yeah, CWD can be spread that way. Um, they just had another deer farm that had shipped, you know, 100 and some CWD positive deer around the country. You could see that that would be a case where you had captive deer in very close proximity to humans. And then those deer are rubbing noses through the fence with wild deer. Like, that would be a thing I would look at. I have no idea. Yeah, that makes sense. Or or just, I don't know, man. You walk out to your, you know, you're in the suburbs somewhere where you got deer hanging out in your yard. Like, deer hang out in my yard. Yeah. And you walk out to your car in the morning and sneeze and some freaking deer walks by. I don't know. Yeah,
0: but that's highly
2: unlikely. It sure because seems like it. Outside uh, contamination of
0: people. People getting COVID outside is almost unheard of.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it, and it, like, it shows up in like zoo animals, close proximity to humans. Does it shows it? up in like fur farms, like all the mink they had to destroy in Norway, yeah. close proximity to humans. I heard tigers like
0: in the zoo. They've caught mm-hmm. tigers in the zoo. My uh, whole family got COVID, and uh, I was I was curious to see how my dog would react, like whether he would get it. Because, you know, I didn't, like, shy away from him. Like, a lot of times I watch TV and he, like, on the couch, he likes to hop up on the couch and cuddle. Mm-hmm. So, like, while I was home all day sick with COVID, he just hopped up with me and hung out with me. So I'm like, should I be fucking petting him like this? like Oh, yeah. I'm like, he seems we, all right.
2: We had that argument where when I had COVID, I was out in our guest house quarantining. Um I was got I was gone when I got it and got home and before I went in to see my family I just went to this we have a little guest house. I went out there and, and eventually got my test back and had COVID. And I let the dog in. Oh, and then into the house <laughs> and too. Then, and then then my then we had to like do all the my wife's like, I don't know what happens now. Like is the dog supposed to quarantine? <laughs> I think the dog should quarantine. Probably <laughs> we, we didn't quarantine the my, dog.
0: I was the last one in my family to get it, so I wasn't worried about them getting it because they already had antibodies. Yeah, but I'm like, what about the dog? But I'm like, I think he's probably already had it. I, mean, I don't want to test him because I don't want to put him through a fucking a blood test.
2: You know? Yeah. No, it's funny, funny about out. it's funny about dogs. The, w- the weirdest thing about quarantining with it, at first, man, my kids are upset. They're crying. You know, like very confused. Oh, because you can't come in the house. Oh yeah, I'm out in the garage, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You know. Oh wow. Because then you, you know, if you come up to me, then you're not supposed to go to school, and like, I'm gonna go out there, and they're like upset, and they're bringing, they're making artwork for me, and bringing me food. (laughs) And after a few days, they're just like, the fuck's that guy? (laughs) (laughs) They got used (laughs) to it. (laughs) It just, it was like I ceased to exist after a few days. (laughs) Wow, kids
0: adapt. That's funny. Oh
2: yeah, man! It was like they forgot all about me. I was out there. I was out there, you know, uh, taking a few taking naps and stuff like that.
0: It is interesting about the zoo animals because the Mm -hmm. zoo animals maybe close proximity, but all of it outside, and then also no real like physical contact with Mm -hmm. zoo animals.
2: So that's what are you talking about? No physical contact with zoo animals, like tigers.
0: Oh, I read that tigers had gotten it. Like big cat, see if you can find that. I'm pretty sure that's what I read. That these tigers have gotten to the zoo, unless yeah, maybe you had to about handle the six, tiger. If you're
2: talking about 15, if the new, not the new. There's this sort of like weird rule of thumb that you know, um, you know the rule of thumb like 15 minutes, six feet. Yeah, it's nonsense. Nine
0: There's, lions and tigers at the National Zoo are being treated for COVID.
2: So through the through the fence or cage wow, or that's whatever, a couple weeks ago. Of course, they're spending that of time. You know what? At my kid's school, you know what they do? that's, that's uh really interesting. You know the whole like fifteen minute six feet thing. Mm-hmm. They limit their my boy, my older boy. They limit his lunch time to fifteen minutes.
0: Oh well, that doesn't make any sense.
2: Because then they're like, yeah, no one's, no one's going to, how, how can
0: they? I- <laughs> but that's with the Delta variant, which is the predominant variant now, that's not real. Because now it's like 30 seconds. Yeah, he, show like, that again, he likes Jamie? to shoot
2: the breeze at his bodies too, so it's hard for him to get his lunch eaten. That's
0: silly. It's, you know, it's remember when we were, we were kids we had chicken pox, you'd go over your friend's house so you could get chicken pox. Like if he had chicken pox, everybody would go and get chicken pox, let's get it over with. Now, Now we're scared of something that doesn't even harm kids. Uh, Zookeepers first noticed last week that the animals were displaying symptoms including decreased energy and appetite and coughing and sneezing. The animals are now being treated with anti-inflammatories, anti-nausea medication, antibiotics, the latter of which is intended to address a likely secondary bacterial pneumonia.
2: God, I didn't even do Um, any of that stuff.
0: No, that's pretty crazy, though, that it's...
2: Presumptive positive.
3: Mm.
0: Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. Tested presumptive. Interesting. They have an
3: actual Maybe they don't have an actual animal COVID test or something. I don't, mm. I don't know what that means.
0: That's a good point. Good catch, Jamie. You yeah. know when
2: uh, when the pandemic started, uh, when it, when shit really hit the fan, I was in Baja with my family, and I got back, and I called my friend uh, Chester Floyd, and I said, um, "This is the most prophetic thing anybody said about COVID to me." I said, "Chester, man, what do you think about all this?" It's going on. And Chester said, uh, man, I think a lot of people got a lot of opinions. (laughs) (laughs) And holy shit. Holy shit. Was he right? Dude, he was on to something. Oh, my God. You know,
0: I wonder how much, like, if you could get a gauge of the overall anxiety of the world, how much it decreased yesterday when Facebook was down. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was like a, like a, you know how you go by those trails and it has like, here's your fire warning for the day, <laughs> yeah, you see know, the it green? has like all these different <laughs> colors. If there was like an anxiety meter and you could go by and see like, what was it like with no <gasps> Facebook? I bet that, sh- and Instagram, both, you know, I bet that shit would be pretty light. Yeah. Twitter's still up, which is probably like 50% of the anxiety is Twitter, but 50% of it might be Facebook.
2: It might, yeah. It's probably good. And it's funny that-, that- All social media anxiety. Um, you know, I use, I use social media as a, as a, you know, I use it for work and, and, and have fun with it, but yeah, it, it it blows my mind that for a long time, it would be that you were supposed to regard, um, those individuals responsible for social media platforms. We were supposed to regard them as these heroes. It's like, Oh, the Arab spring. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know, Bringing the world, you know, together. Yeah. It's like, holy shit, dude. Well,
0: the algorithms. What changed is algorithms. You know, if you oh. watch the, uh, the, uh, Social Dilemma, the, the documentary, the Social oh, yeah, Dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, uh, Tristan Harris has been on the podcast and sort of explained a lot of it to us. And, you know, he's going to come back on again. And we're going to talk to him some more about it because it's, uh, it's very disturbing because what they've done with, with these algorithms and they knew what was happening while they were doing it is they've accentuated arguments. They've accentuated all the division between people and that it's kind of like an unstoppable domino effect. And there's, it seems like at this point in time, it's, there's a clear division in our country that didn't exist in 2007. If you go back to the invention of the first iPhone and the, you know when social media started coming about, like if you go from there to, to now – the change is palpable, like it's mm-hmm. it's very very real. And then when you add in the anxiety of a pandemic and real adversity, which which is what people have encountered over the last eighteen months, now it's through the roof. Now yeah. now people are like literally fucking insane. It's like you, they're unrecognizable.
2: I hear that, but you know I know YouTube's not a social media platform. But I was I had a, a rare you know moment of just nothing going on this morning because I woke up in a hotel and I wasn't like at work or messing with my kids. And so I was just dicking around on YouTube. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised to be like that uh, YouTube understands that I like to watch Norm MacDonald videos. <laughs> and I like to watch stuff about catching bobcats. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like they really... Yeah. Their algorithm. Yeah, they're not trying to, they weren't trying to serve me something that's going to make me mad. But see, that's because you're healthy.
0: <laughs> see, this is the thing about it. Like, people think that they do it because they want to make you mad. It's not. They do whatever you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, my friend Ari, he did this experiment where he went on YouTube and only looked at puppy videos. And all it would show him is videos of puppies. Like, every time he went on YouTube, it's puppies. hmm yeah. yeah. But when you get into the comments, that's when you find out that YouTube is a social media platform. Yeah, because you know, well, also not not just that, but creeps have used comments like they've gone to certain uh, websites, and this is like how they've caught people for like sex trafficking. Mm. And uh, there was a bunch of these weird fucking kid videos. I don't know if you know, aware of these? They don't understand what was going on. They don't know how, know how these things were made or why they were made. But there was a bunch of kid friendly looking videos so it'd be like donald duck or mickey mouse but then they would get drunk and like fall down and bust their head open and it was it was really weird but these videos would show up in like if a kid was looking at cartoons and if you're one of those parents that just like gives your kid an ipad and just go ahead your kid would watch normal cartoon videos, and then all of a sudden, in the feed, because of the algorithm, these uh, it was like Spider Man was a bunch of them.
3: Here's a for instance screenshot. Jeez, oh, this was like Elsa Gate stuff.
0: Oh yeah, I'm that not was, showing
3: this online. This just for you guys to see. But.
0: Yeah, Elsa Gate was one where Elsa from Frozen. There was a, a ton of these videos where kids were. Hmm. Looking up Elsa videos, so because they were looking up Elsa videos, all these other videos that were also Elsa videos showed up in them. And apparently, what was going on is like inside the comments. Am I wrong about this? Inside the comments, there was like people who got arrested for Uh, doing.
3: Yeah, that's where I. I don't know. I won't. I'm not going to say that didn't happen. I don't know. Yeah, there are FBI investigation. Yeah, it they got crossed over into like the pedophile yeah, so genre so they using code words and stuff. Mm, yeah, they
0: were using these comments like they would meet up on certain videos and they would communicate inside the comments of those videos with code. And that's how they got away with communicating got it. publicly about certain things. And I don't know if they were... Child porn or what whatever what, what they're yeah. involved with, but I remember there was a lot of people that got in trouble for that. And and you know, then YouTube's trying to figure out like what are these videos? And who the fuck is making these? Yeah, because there was. And what's the, the motivation? They don't know. Like yeah. the, the theme was weird. Like we watched a bunch of them one day. The theme was weird. Like it was always the same thing. Like they seemed kind of normal, and then the cartoon characters would get drunk, and they would always like wind up getting busted in the head with a bottle and blood everywhere. And you're like,
2: what the fuck?
0: So it goes from really? being like, yeah, weird shit. You don't let man. your kid
2: just cut loose on YouTube? No, do you? no, 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 no,
0: no, no, no. no. Luckily, one of my kids, all she likes to watch on YouTube is like there's a girl named Sniper Wolf hmm. who's very funny and she does like these reaction videos to stuff, but it's very G rated and she loves watching her. And, you know, there's, you know, but I keep an eye on what they're doing and I don't allow them to just start going crazy. Yeah. Because it's just. You just, you know, you never know. I mean, one day you just stumble upon an ISIS beheading video. Yeah. And now you have, you know, your kids fucking waking you up in the middle of the night crying and screaming because they can't get this image out of their head. This is
2: terrifying. It is. To be on the other side of it, too, because when you're young, all you want to do is throw off the chains. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're, like, in the position of putting the chains on.
0: Yeah, you gotta... It's like, how much freedom do you give them? Like, how much do you talk to them about stuff? How much do you let them figure the stuff out on their own? You know, it's... Uh, it's tricky, and it's a weird world because it didn't exist previous. Like, it's not like we're dealing with something that we went through when we were children. Mm-hmm. There was no Google when we were children. There was no, you know, Live Leak. You ever go on Live Leak and no.
2: fucking? I know about it, but yeah,
0: horrible videos. You can watch a lot of car accidents and animal attacks and just wild yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's not.
2: You know, oh no, I have been on X. I, yeah, I have. I yeah. have stumbled into that.
0: But that wasn't that didn't exist before when I was a kid if you wanted to watch something fucked up you had a plan for it like when we wanted to watch Faces of Death yeah, somebody had to that. get the video some one of our friends had to watch the door you know so like we were in the basement one of the friends had to watch the door make sure the parents didn't come down and then we put it on the VCR and we, <laughs> we we were ready like if someone came down you'd pop that fucking tape out and hide yeah. it these kids today, all they have to do is just have a phone, you know. And a lot of times, kids are eleven and twelve; they have phones. And twelve-year-olds with a phone, I mean, they're going to start googling people fucking, people getting killed. They're going to see the, the most crazy shit. Have you seen this? Your friends going to say, "Have you seen that?" And then you're going to look on your phone. There's there's no way to stop it. There's yeah. no way to stop it. Kids have wild fucking workarounds for for like little, little restrictions. My sneaky little fucking kid. You know what she did? She a screen recorded um, my wife when my wife went and put in a password <laughs> for her screen time. Yeah. Nice.
3: nice
0: move. Very nice move. She handed her phone over to my wife. My <laughs> wife goes in and puts a password in for her screen time. So she can only get an hour's worth of screen time a day. And then my wife checks. and She's like, how the fuck do you have four hours of screen time? Like, What's going on here? So she, and then she figured out that the really the little monster. Yeah, okay, did you guys have public <laughs> access
3: Zeple, man. when you were growing Smart. up? My like public access TV. I used to oh, see yeah, some yeah, of yeah, that shit. I remember, yeah. That's my first exposure to Faces of Death was after ten o'clock. They could show whatever the fuck they wanted for whatever reason. Really? Po- not blatant porn, but porn. Really? I saw that's what the Bud Dyer, Dwyer video of him shooting himself in the face. You saw that on TV? To the twenty-one gun salute when I was going to bed and I was, when I was like ten years old. What? Yeah. Huh.
1: No
0: like, way. Wow.
3: And then this guy ended up, I was talking with some of my friends when I was back at home in my reunion. This guy was, we all knew about him when we were like 12, 13 years old. Had a show, painted up like an insane clown posse type character and would have like blood, g- girls, vaginas, lips, all sorts of wild shit. Really? Wild. And it was just like the government was putting it on, technically, because of public access.
0: So in hmm. public access, there's no restrictions like there are That's with what I was asking.
3: I don't, I did not, you guys didn't have? That's like what Wayne's World was. That's my only thing I knew growing up was like Wayne's World on the SNL was a public access show. But then we actually had public access, and that's where wild shit was happening after 10 o'clock.
0: I had a friend of mine who had a public <laughs> access show. My friend uh, Larry Rapucci, who's a stand-up comic in uh, – I think it was Larry's show – but he was a stand-up comic in Boston. We all did a public access show when we were like struggling comedians. We all went. You on did this... it too. Yeah, I wore a dress. I wore a dress and a wig, and I was like, we had like a like a dating show, and
3: I this was... is the wild guy that I would. This is from the 90s, I think. I found it on oh. YouTube. It still exists. It's like very David Lynchian, man. So it's just so weird to watch. Damon now, Zex. Yeah. Oh, so
0: he would. That's him He's on the right, character. and him on TV. Oh, yeah, wow. so yeah. he really planned this out. This was
3: some weird shit. Wow. Again, this is 96? he's doing coke. He's, the <laughs> tampons its also, like, again, Uh-oh, I was yeah. a kid when I was seeing this stuff. Wow. So, like, to me, Where's it's not that, that Looks like Robert
2: Smith from The Cure, man.
3: Someone found him. I don't know. I'm sure he's, like, on Facebook or he's probably doing this stuff still. Let's find him. Well, he's going to find out now. Oh, sure. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow, Yeah. Art so he gore. got
0: away with this. This was all on.
3: Yeah, but he wasn't even the only one. There was a clown called like Angstow, the clown that was like I'm sure Red Band knows about this stuff because he was a little bit older than me in the same area. It's probably why he he was probably watching the same. <laughs> Where show were you brought up? With you. This is why it Ohio. might make sense now. Where
2: yeah, were you brought in, up?
3: In Columbus, Ohio. Huh. Weird. Wow. There's, I mean, this, and then looking back into some of the stuff that was happening there, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. But if this isn't wasn't going on everywhere, that's sort of like uh. strange to me. I, I never saw it, it in
0: Boston, but I might have been out of the loop. Might have, might have existed. I just wasn't aware of it. But I thought the regulations were across the board if you were broadcasting. I didn't think that public access was different.
3: That, Is it because it's local? May, maybe. And then there's like free speech laws that were getting into. I, I don't. Again, I was a kid, so I have no idea. I was just. Hmm. I was excited to see it.
2: <laughs> hmm. I, I just, I haven't, it's not, it won't be available till spring, but um, for the last couple of years, I've been working on a, a book, you know, like this is the thing I thought I'd never do. I used to be annoyed by people who thought about their kids before I had kids, but I have a book that I just finished called uh, Outdoor Kids Inside World. and It's about, you know, kids in nature, raising kids. And yeah, man, if you'd asked me, dude, like 10 years ago, I'd have been like, no way I would do something like that. But it's just harrowing, man. It's like scary. What is scary? Having kids. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Worried about them and just like the what, danger. Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and like trying yeah. to
2: guide their, yeah. guide their experience, you know? And for me, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've found that, um, that, that. Ex, you know, exposure to nature, experiences in nature, understanding nature is like winds up being an avenue of approach that I have with them that works for both of us. Cause mm. It's like a common language, you know? Yeah. But yeah, man, it's it's it's, it's terrifying. And then the, and then the, the feeling of hypocr- the hypocrisy that you get of things that meant a, that when you were young, things that meant a lot to you and felt very authentic to you, like freedom— Freedom to consume what media you wanted, freedom to talk to who you wanted to talk to, freedom to go where you wanted to go. Um, that later you're in a position where you're um, denying denying someone something that you really wanted in an honest way when you were young.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a it's conversation a put, with it's Jonathan. It's a push and pull, man. Jonathan Hate about that. You know, he talks about uh, the, the concept of free-ranged kids. Mm-hmm. about he lets his children wander. It was Jonathan Haidt, right? It was, right? It was the coddling of the American mind. Mm-hmm. Um, he lets his kids wander around New York City. Like he lets his kids walk home from New York City. Yeah. And, you know, he was talking about one time his uh, his kid got a little lost and they were really, really scared. You know, it was like they were trying to find him and it's like a terrifying feeling. But that ultimately the development that the child receives from – being able to navigate the world on their own is very valuable, but there's a risk. And so you like have to weigh this risk versus reward. And the opposite of that is people do helico- helicopter parent and we know how that turns out, right? That's not good when you overly coddle your kid and your 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 kid is not exposed to any sort of adversity or any sort of danger or any sort of adventure or any sort of uh, independence that it, it could be stifling. And then it mm. takes a long time for the child to develop outside of that parental environment once they become free, like there's different kinds of kids, right? There's kids that grow up in bad neighborhoods with very little parental guidance, and they're 18. And then there's kids who grow up completely coddled and completely protected and insulated, and they're 18. And then they run into each other. Totally different life experiences. You yeah. know? And I was the former. You know, I was the kid that didn't have a lot of guidance when I was a kid, and I was a kind of a lock key,
2: a latch key kid. <laughs> over- I'm, I'm glad you just used that word.
0: Yeah, it's a common word, right? Common phrase. Well,
2: apparently it's not. No. I grew up with that word. Yeah, latchkey. I was commenting on how my wife in her early years was a latchkey kid, and she's like, I haven't heard that word in a long time. Mm. I'm like, that used to be a word, dude, like latchkey kid. Yeah, you got a key. You got a key, and
0: you you came home, and no one was home, you know, when I was 12 12 years old. Yeah, just, I mean, it
2: wasn't like five days ago someone was pointing out to me that that word doesn't get used anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, kids don't. I mean, it's like kind of a different thing. You don't really see twelve-year-old kids walking home with a key and opening up their front <laughs> door anymore. I mean, I think about my children and how young they are, and I, I can't imagine them doing that. But I did that, and I think that the independence that comes from being a kid who walks home from school by yourself and g- opens your door by yourself, and you know, and then uh, my parents didn't come home till you know whatever it was. They worked till five, and then they were home. I was out. I would go places. No one knew where the fuck I was. There was no phones. There was no cell phones, you know. Yeah. I could leave a, a little post-it note or something like that.
2: It, it's, it's been interesting to watch um, as a parent the way that, you, that different parents find what dangerous things they're comfortable with. Hmm. Um, friends of mine, like my friend Kelly lives in New York, right, and she'll talk about – and we have similar mindsets um, about ex- exposing kids to risk – and her kids will take the subway, right, or whatever, home. And to me, where, where I, where where I live, and having not had kids that age in a city, like I can't picture what she's getting at. You know what I mean? I, I go like, wow, that seems just kind of like crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, how almost, old is your kids? Uh, I'm Trying to think how fourteen and nine or ten somewhere in there. Hmm. Um, and I don't know they've been at it for a while, but either way, like things that some people would regard, things that people from the outside would regard as like hard to picture, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so, but at the same time, I expose my kids to like danger that I have decided is like an okay danger to court. I'll expose them to being, you know, they can be around grizzly bears. They can be unescorted in areas that have mount, a lot of mountain lions and bears. We take small boats out in the very big water. Um, we do all kinds of things but it, it's like things that I've decided are um, good risk. Mm. Healthy risk.
0: Have you been around a grizzly with your kid?
2: Yeah. My Where? older my, my boy I have. Yeah? yeah. yeah. Where? Well, Where at? In Alaska. Yeah? Yeah. And then a lot of other and then you know a lot of very up close exposure to black bears. Very up close.
0: Yeah and living in and Montana. It's, it's, and
2: then I see that like at our fish shack in Alaska, it's like a daily occurrence. But I see that, and I'm and I'm thinking, man, I, I love being able to expose my kids to like this, and to have them be not jumpy people, mm. you know. But then yeah. other, but then I see that that I hear that they were at their friends on YouTube, like unfettered YouTube access, and I'm like, oh my god,
0: oh my god, <laughs> right? They're gonna believe in QAnon, you
2: know? Yeah, it's yeah. just like we all find our ways to be, you know. We all find our ways to tr- like try to find some way to be comfortable and try to find some way to not be overdoing something or underdoing yeah. something. Well, I think kids for sure need
0: some form of adversity to work through. And I think sports are really great for that for kids. You need to learn how to lose. But, man,
2: I know some stunted people that played a lot of sports.
0: Yeah, it's not, bet- yeah. Yeah, it's not a 100% guarantee. But it is a guarantee that if you've never encountered any loss at all, mm-hmm. then you're fucked. Any
2: challenge. Yeah. yeah, no
0: challenge at all, no adversity at all, you know. And then, dependent upon the kind of parenting that you received, I mean, it's not that it's a it's not that it is a deal breaker. Like you have to have sports in your life, or you have to be good at things. I think you have to have difficult things that you're attempting to do. You know, I think that's really beneficial for kids and for adults. I mean, I think that's a a, a key part of my life is lessons learned through adversity and trying new things is a a very important part of that because it forces you to really be a beginner. One of the things I found like in martial arts, like when you would uh, get like guys who are like world champion kickboxers and they start entering into MMA, they're really good at one aspect of fighting, which is like kickboxing. And then they would have to learn wrestling and jujitsu. They didn't like it. Because the wrestling and jujitsu, the problem was they were getting fucked up a lot. They were oh, getting, yeah, they were, I can they were that. losing. So they're used to being like dominant, and then all of a sudden they're losing. Or
2: they've been for years yeah, good at something. Exactly. Now, they, now they suck at some part of it.
0: Exactly. So they would avoid that aspect of it. So their development as a mixed martial artist was always limited. They always, always get to a certain level, and they could never pass that because they never really developed the skills required to excel in the overall thing there was always like this yeah, hole in their game
2: they'd never go live in that yeah. they'd never allow themselves to go live in that, that loser space right yeah but that's to excel
0: fucking it's that's where all the lessons are that the bad feelings where all the lessons are it's like someone who's never experienced heartache right and then they experience and like oh, oh! it's like death it's like you, you lose a part of your life and you know i remember the first time I'm I got my heart broken when I was like, I guess I was like 17 or 18. I couldn't believe how bad I felt. I was like, God, this is the worst feeling ever.
2: Do you ever go look her up on Facebook or anything? No. But if I did,
0: (laughs) I don't know. Um, But, but, you know, I'm sure I'd be over it. But the the point is, like, you have to experience that to know. And then I think, like, how am I going to live without this girl in my life? And then, you know, years later, I'm like, how would I have lived if I kept that girl in my life? Yeah. Like, oh my god, it would have been horrendous.
2: I have such a hard time picturing you being heartbroken.
0: Oh, I was heartbroken. Yeah, when I was eighteen. Yeah.
2: Uh I know this isn't a parenting show, but um <laughs> a friend of mine, he's it's an attorney. A turn- show. friend of mine who's an attorney and he deals with uh, deals a lot with like uh what do you call it? Custody, child custody stuff. We mm-hmm. were talking about all these like, you know, theories about how to what kids need and how to do it. And he says, Man, I only know one thing that really fucks up kids he says is when they know that no one gives a shit about them (laughs) he's like yeah yeah that's the thing that that's in my view that's what does it (sighs) yeah you know
0: that's the hardest when you when you see um foster kids you know that are um that don't have love they don't have a family they don't have real parents or maybe even worse they know their parents are out there but their parents don't give a fuck about them and Mm -hmm. someone else is raising them
2: Oh, it's damaging.
0: Oh, it's so devastating. And it's like, how do you fix that ever? How do you how do you I think once a child has gone through a really bad emotional development and childhood development, it's like so difficult to somehow or another get out of that space and become like a, a normal person, become a person who's balanced and who who just gets their shit together. It's so fucking hard. I mean, you can't imagine the emotional pain that some of these children go through it's so fucking devastating and we um do this thing we um get uh christmas gifts for these foster kids and the the thing about it is though you get like this sheet of paper where you get like a, a rundown of these kids and their life and you're like oh fucking christ it's well, so then you make hard. a selection of gifts. Yeah, oh, that's nice that you do that. It's nice, but it's so hard because you want to just adopt them all. You mm. want to just go and you know, my wife's not having that. But I mean, like I, I'm that way with dogs. Like I can't go to the pound. If I go to the pound, I'll have a hundred dogs. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'm that guy. I, I fucking love dogs. I I I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to go home.
2: While <laughs> I like to call it the pound. I still call it the pound. But. Isn't it still the pound? <laughs> No one knows. Like latchkey kids, there's a whole generation of people that don't use that
0: word. That's it. No, no, it's the dog pound, man. That's what Snoop Dogg calls it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's not fair. Life's not fair. You know, it's, that's, uh, that's an important lesson, too. Like, people want fair in this world. It's, that's not a real thing. You know, there's not fair in looks, there's not fair in intelligence, there's not fair in the way you were raised, and sometimes not fair is beneficial, because sometimes when you get a shitty hand of cards, you develop adversity and determination that a person who's been coddled doesn't have, and that allows you to excel wildly beyond anything that you're capable of, which is a hard thing for me as a parent, because all of my favorite friends are fucked up. Like, they all had fucked up childhoods, and it made for the most interesting people. But, you know, they have horrific. Like, my friend Joey Diaz, one of my favorite people that's ever lived, found his mom dead on the floor of the kitchen when he was 13, high on acid. Hmm. Yeah. I don't want that to happen to my kid. You know? No one wants that to happen to their kid. But that that was his existence.
2: That's who you gravitate toward. Always, yeah. always gravitate uh, Yeah, I gra I people. gravitate toward people who had, like, pretty scrappy upbringing.
0: Yeah, they're more fun.
2: <laughs> reliable.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, reliable. Also, they have a thing that you like to use, a term, they have a lot of grr. Yeah, yeah.
2: but I, I bet you'd look and you'd find that they were deeply loved, but scrappy.
0: <laughs> yes, and, well, Joey's a perfect example of that because he's a deeply loving person. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you're in his inner circle, you know, you're loved. Like he calls you, he tells you, he loves you. He's like, he's very affectionate, very loving, you know, because it's valuable to him. He knows what it means to not be there, you know, to not have someone there for you. Yeah. It's a tricky thing, man. It's like with all things in life, there's a balance that can be achieved, but sometimes through imbalance, you develop uh, spectacular abilities you know, like some of the greatest fighters, like Mike Tyson is a great example, right? Literally didn't experience any love in his life until he was like 13 years old and he was adopted by this guy, Cus D'Amato, who just happened to be one of the great boxing trainers in history. And through this guy's mentoring and also through hypnosis, the guy hypnotized him to be this like assassin inside the ring, like he got his love through destroying people. And obviously that worked out really well. I mean, you don't have a Mike Tyson, you don't make a Mike Tyson. If uh, birthdays are all you know on time and everyone's buying you a nice Christmas gift and you never run into bullies at school, and like th- <laughs> you don't get a Mike Tyson. But everybody worshiped Mike Tyson. Like when we were kids and Mike Tyson fought, Jesus, that was a big deal, you know? Yeah. Like when I was, I guess I was in my early 20s when, when Mike Tyson was in his prime, holy shit, was that a big deal. You watch a Tyson fight. I mean, everybody knew when Tyson was fighting. It was like you were going to see a public execution. Yeah, you don't get, you don't create (laughs) a person like that unless things go badly.
2: My kids have to pack their own lunches and their own snacks, you know, so they be self sufficient. And every morning, my wife basically makes them dissemble it in her presence so she can check.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) What do they try to smuggle in?
2: No, it's just like you're talking about. You know being like i don't know, just you know that's how you make a Mike Tyson like I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know, if, I, don't well, know if, I don't know if we're going to wind up with any Mike
0: Tyson I don't know if you want to be you know you don't really want to raise a Mike Tyson really not that Mike's a bad guy he's a great guy but he's a great guy because he figured his way through all that shit and became this guy but that's – you know
2: yeah there are yeah there are there are definitely um celebrated individuals who uh, adversity like adversity now and then creates these like spectacular yeah people um could also I break think, them though yeah and i think that to go into it planning on if you went into it thinking you were going to manipulate that system to produce a spectacular child it would be like ripe for backfiring <laughs> it's
0: johnny cash a boy named sue
2: <laughs> oh yeah yeah there's a whole damn song about
0: it <laughs> yeah i mean it's like i knew i wasn't gonna be around so i named you sue <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: right i'm trying to get all like uh yeah he already yeah johnny cash already thought all that yeah
0: he figured it out i mean it's a fucking hilarious song but it's 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 very tricky. It's very difficult. But I think uh, your friend that pointed out that the worst thing that can happen is a kid that doesn't feel loved. That's true. And I think that's probably where you know a lot of psychopaths come from. Unfortunately, people, mm-hmm. you know that's old expression. Hurt people, hurt people.
1: Mm. You know,
0: I hadn't heard that. You never heard that one? No. Really? Hurt people, hurt people. No. That's pretty common. That's more common than latchkey kid, I thought. <laughs> What is it like raising kids in Montana? I mean, you're in this, uh, I mean, it's really cool because you're in this like super rural environment, you know, a lot. You know, you're in this, this area where you're in a nice town, but you're also surrounded by this like gorgeous landscape of mountains and wildlife. Yeah. And it's a pretty fucking cool place. No,
2: it, it, I, I think it, it works well. Um, Having like having that level of immediacy to be able to take them out to experience things that, that like we care about, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I we we did a family walk on Sunday and we went and caught grasshoppers, you know, so we could throw them in the creek and
0: watch fish get them.
2: <laughs> watch fish get them, you know. Yeah. And stuff like that, and, and fish a lot, and hunt mushrooms, and we camp a lot in the summer. Um, I, I like it, man. I'm gone a lot for work, so. Uh. I try to have it – I travel a lot, so I try to have, like, very – when I'm home, I try to have it be very – like, try to keep it impactful. That's cool. And try not to be lazy. Yeah. And I'm not not lazy, but I make sure to not be lazy, and I make sure to, like, really – that we're just out doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff.
0: Right, and make that a thing for them so they get accustomed to it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. like, there's always a plan always going doing something always a plan i mean it, it's it's it, it can be relentless for people around and i've had and i've had people lobby complaints about that system of living but um <laughs> that's how i like to that's how i like to run the program well for what you
0: do and you know for the company Meat Eater and for first light like there's no better place for you to live i mean montana's just an amazing place yeah, live I, I enjoy it. Run a, a company like your company, you know, that makes Netflix shows and videos and writes books and you know, it's like it couldn't be better.
2: Yeah, it's a good, and then you have a we have a very good network of folks there. Um, yeah, it's great, man. Uh, and then Bozeman, you know, where I live, it's 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 uh, it's it's. A Big, it's big, you know, it's bigger than where I grew up, right? But how, many, how
0: many people is Bozeman? Like oh, 300,000, 400,000?
2: No, it's not. I mean, because there's like the town and there's the sort of like greater valley area. I don't know where it's at, Jamie. Well, find out, you on guess? The lickety split for like in the, in the town 70 yeah. or something like that. 70,000, yeah, the town? maybe I'm way oh, off, wow. but then the greater area, I'd have to look up, I could be totally wrong. What's the greater area?
0: Like two all told. 200,000?
2: yeah well, I don't know, let's find out I don't know if, uh, yeah find out for me, way <laughs> either way, it's uh yeah yeah hmm. it's much a bigger area. much bigger than where I grew up, yeah, but still very small, you know, like people kind of know you, um, there's a story I've like haven't had a couple of times where um well. It's just so small. You feel observed. Yeah. <laughs> You're observed. Well, I feel like that in Austin. You feel observed here?
0: Yeah, I fucking a, bet you do. Much different than Los Angeles. There's also, um, uh, and they're much more uh, accustomed to famous people in Los Angeles. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, here, it's uh, it's more of like, hey, there's that fucking guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they make a, a, a thing about it where it's like in LA, it's just normal to see ben affleck or whatever the fuck yeah normal
2: yeah you feel observed i got this years ago i got this i did some ads for subaru and got this car for free like the way it worked like for some reason it was it was it was these like branded history things okay so i got to pick like 13 things around the country that i thought were interesting and one was like uh did this thing about this guy that um, there's this mountain range and a town and a pass and a national forest all aim, named after this dude and all that's all really known about him is he got killed by a grizzly bear Is that Bridger? No, his name is Lulu or Lolo Oh So there's the town of Lolo there's Lolo Creek, there's Lolo Pass there's Lolo National Forest and all they know is there's like a dude that lived on a tributary to that creek and he got killed by a grizzly That's like really, really all that's known about the guy Anyways, they did a thing about where they think he might have been buried and all these other things, it was like this thing. It appeared on. It was like these like ads that were on History Channel. Um, and I would go and check out whatever th- something that was interesting. But there'd be like these driving shots, right? Where you like drive there in a Subaru. So the way that stuff works is, um, you have to buy the car, just for insurance purposes. Like, you you buy the car from them and like invoice them for the car purchase.
0: Oh, okay. I
2: don't know how common this is, but anyways, I got to keep when it was all said and done. I got the car, so we were gonna sell it. But my wife started to drive it, and now we've had this thing since was, we've had this car since 2009.
0: They're bulletproof. Yeah, my wife Those drives yeah, it. and my
2: wife's like very uh, when it comes to vehicles and stuff. Like has no. She's very pragmatic.
0: Joey Diaz drives nothing but Subarus. Yeah, forever. she'd be like,
2: she would. Why would you buy a car if you got a car for free? Yeah, is this your ad oh. ads? Oh, Look yeah. at you, young, fresh-faced, like four Rinella. years old. Look at you. Yeah, it was like four. Who's the guy with the hat? Uh, he was a guy. I wrote a magazine profile on that. He hunts for old denim.
0: So this is 2007. Look how no, young no, no, you No, no, no.
2: 2009, maybe. Fine.
0: I saw some old homestead cabins down here. Mm. I can't leave any stone unturned. I have to check it. Out.
2: So okay. yeah, that dude would. I wrote a piece. I I did that one because I wrote a piece about that guy. He would go. Um I want to get back to this thing about this car but this is interesting. So you know the er, the earthquake in San Francisco and the big fire, mm-hmm. whatever the hell year that happened. Yeah. Late 1800s. So what was that? Earthquake that destroyed San Francisco. Levi's Levi's lost their own catalog. They lost their own library of their clothes they made. So like Levi's denim 1906. They made in that fire Levi's lost their sort of history. Okay. Wow. So Levi's knows they made clothing that they know from advertisements that they have no physical representation of. Wow. So I wrote a piece about these dudes that would start they would go hunting around in mine shafts and stuff and find old ass denim. And the the coolest thing to find was you would find a, a, a very old pre 1906 pair of Levi's. And these things that sell for like thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to collectors. Really? They're all these like buckle back jeans. It was like they had buckles in the back, a couple of buckles in the back, and that's how you cinch them up. So in like the if back. you found, yeah, the so it, collectors would call them buckle backs. Yeah, there you go. So this dude.
0: So this, was this before they figured out belts?
2: Yeah, it's just how they used to tie them, man. Like buckle backs. Huh. So this dude, he got into that vintage denim stuff but he also would find old old clothes and sell them to uh, collectors sell them to people making films looking for period clothing and I went and and I drove around with him in in Nevada and and wrote a profile on him um I think it was called like the brotherhood of the very expensive pants it was when I was a, it was when I was a writer for outside
0: wow look at that
2: yeah you know the, the coolest thing i found in the week i spent with him was a pair plugging up a there's a cap there's an old run, cabin on a ranch and it had two chimneys and at some point in time someone had moved his wood stove from one end of the cabin to the other and plugged the old chimney hole with a pair of jeans wow and we go in there, so he'll go in and like, he'd like strike a deal with ranchers. He'd be like, listen, man, I'm going to, and a lot of times they'd be like, he's like, I'm going to look around and in your old buildings and stuff, and I find something, I'll buy it for me. They'd be like, bullshit, get out of here. And just to turn them on, he would also look and whatever he could see, he would look and give them an insane price for nonsense just to butter him up. Really? Oh, yeah. Like how much is, like. It's like, we went to this guy and this guy had just junk everywhere and it was like, he had a lot of junk, and also be like, "There's the old cabin where Grandpa lived. There's the old rundown house where my mom and dad lived, and here's my house." And everything was exactly. They just would move across the property and build a new structure and leave the old ones in place. So he's dying to get in here and look around. And this guy had a T-shirt like his. <laughs> this guy's uh, had an outdoor spigot that was dripping. For whatever reason, he tied like a T-shirt around it to prevent to deflect the drip you know or whatever to prevent erosion underneath there I have no idea but a t-shirt tied around a drippy thing he, and he goes like that t-shirt for instance and gave him like 25 bucks for the t-shirt no desire to have the t-shirt but he just had to grab he had to point to something
0: to let the guy know that he was, he's got a real possible windfall here yeah
2: and then the guy's like well damn son <laughs> let's have a look and he'd be in there buying saddle blankets and boots hats anything the jeans that plugged up the hole so we're on this place, and he went. Through, I was with him, man. He went through all the channels and like talked to the ranch manager. Got a hold of the ranch, or the ranch was like, "Have a look. Let me know what you find." Goes in there and pulls out. This had to be a very old. I can't remember what kind. It wasn't. It was like some other kind of gene. It wasn't old Levi. Pulled out a set of pants that had been plugging that chimney up since the early 1900s. Wow. And you know the sun, like how, like how often does the sun shine down a chimney? Straight. Yeah. yeah like cool. not very yeah. often. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Like there's like three feet of pipe above these pants, and where it looked like tie dye because that part that was up just being exposed to the rain and whatever limited amount of sunshine ever shines straight down that chimney He'd like bleached those pants white. But he pulled those pants out, and there they were. And they find stuff like people used to make log homes and chink. Know chinking between the logs, Mm -hmm. shirts and pants and shit. Really? Oh yeah, he's got a whole damn place full of that stuff. Had I haven't talked to him in a long time, and all that stuff is very valuable. If because he like he his place was called Carpe Denim, and (laughs) he he, people knew to go to him, so he would have designers, okay, like clothing designers would want to go to his warehouse full of all this crazy old shit he found to get inspiration.
0: Wow. Look at all that stuff
2: to get inspiration for, you know, like whatever, like Dickie's Carhartt, whatever, like different designers would go and look around his stuff to get inspiration for it.
0: Jamie, send me this uh, guy's Instagram page. It's original Indian jeans. Yeah. Indiana? yeah that's him. O- Original Indiana jeans. Sorry. Um, Brit Eaton. Um, I think all those old jeans were made out of hemp. I think before the 1930s, before uh, hemp became a problem when they uh, made marijuana illegal, and then you mm. had to have like a stamp to grow hemp, and, and then it become phased out with the uh, the cotton gin. You know, well the decorticator actually was what uh, brought it back. I think that was in the 1930s. But all before that, canvas itself came from cannabis, like canvas was actually made with hemp. Like even like the Mona Lisa was painted on hemp. It's a far more durable um, fabric. And if you like, uh, if we had hemp jeans, they would. They'd be f- so much more durable. It's a weird cloth. Have you ever fucked around with hemp no, as I a haven't. cloth?
2: I bet he'd be able to tell you a lot about it. Oh, I bet he would. Um,
0: it's the fibers are in, really insane. I had a friend of mine. My friend Todd McCormick used to grow uh, marijuana, and he was like one of the first guys ever to be arrested for it, when they uh, had medical marijuana, but they were still charging people federally because it was medical in California. But when you would go to jail, you would realize once you went to court that you couldn't bring up medical marijuana because you were in a federal trial oh, really? <laughs> and the federal trials, they wouldn't even recognize it. You were just a drug dealer to them. And he was like, oh my God, like this is a crazy racket. Like I'm getting railroaded here because you couldn't even say, no, I was growing it for mm-hmm. medical purposes in the state where it's legal medically. So he had a stalk of this stuff and you would pick it up and it would be hard like oak but light like balsa wood. It was the Mm -hmm. wildest shit. Like you'd realize like there's nothing like that fiber on earth. And when you take that fiber and break it down, the paper, like they would make hemp paper, and it's crazy, like you can't tear it. But it feels like paper, it's so superior. Hemp clothing is insanely durable, like so much more durable than cotton. Yeah,
2: than all the hemp rope. I'm not from. I mean, yeah. I'm familiar. I'm familiar with in the in the pioneer and frontier days, they used the hemp for rope and other fabrics. Parachutes. Fabric, yeah.
0: yeah, like the parachute that George Herbert Walker Bush uh, parachuted to safety with in World War II. That was made out of hemp. Yeah, they used to make all the parachutes made out of hemp. This is far more
2: durable than cotton. Uh, so get this car. <laughs> <laughs> Subaru. Yeah, and all of a sudden one day, um, where, where our offices, like my, my my wife my wife drives a car, and all of somewhere offices is all these bumper stickers that uh, say like Ranella drives a Subaru on people's cars, but not my car. And so it's like someone like observing, you know, someone in this area like observing what my wife drives and like printing a bumper sticker. Just, like, f- weird. That's weird. Yeah, like, small-town stuff, you know? But I had to choir around. It was some dude that works at—it was some event—like, it was, like, these dudes that worked at Sitka, and then I eventually found out which one of them did it, and he, like, tried to get a job with us, and that was, like, his, like, vengeance thing, which is, like, bizarre, man. It made, you feel just observed. He tried to get a job with you, and
0: he couldn't get a job, so then he made a bumper sticker that said the kind of car you drive?
2: Yeah, and p- pasted it on people's cars in our parking lot, but not my car whoa thank god you didn't hire that guy well it just winds up it's just weird
0: man it's it's like that is a problem with hiring people right like you never know
2: no just like so there is like an observed quality but i but you know my i mean i I hate to be negative but i mean i have so many wonderful wonderful friends and it's a great beautiful great place to live but there's yeah there's like uh the good with the bad yeah yeah yeah. you're gonna get both Yeah. yeah Yeah,
0: it's just, yeah, and when people get rejected, I mean, imagine being a woman, you know, experiencing, like, some guy tries to hit on you, and you reject him, and then this guy's stalking you. Oh, yeah, social media, sending you evil letters, and that's a very common thing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure for guys, too.
2: Yeah. It's horrible.
0: People are fucking crazy. A good percentage of them, you know, one out of a hundred, out of their fucking mind. You run into them. You zig when you should have zagged. Boom, <laughs> you got a problem. And you got to be real careful. Got to have a good filtering system to keep those people out of your life. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine when you have an organization like yours, where you have like you have a lot of employees, there's a lot of people there.
2: Yeah, Meat Eater Man, we have a uh, hundred people that work for us. Because we have, wild. you know, we have uh, an apparel company. So first light Ketchum. is underneath Meat Eater. Yeah. It's in Meat Eater. Yeah. yeah. So so
0: you keep it and catch
2: they stay there, they're there and catch yeah. 'em. I mean we have a we have a ton of um you know, a ton of overlap, but no, they they have like person to catch 'em that that runs that program and they have a they have a bunch of people. Um Phelps game calls. They're oh, in that's Washington. That's
0: right. You you guys are a part of that too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So Jason, he's been on our podcast a bunch. He's been yeah. we just we just we filming with him.
0: He sent me one of his new bugle tubes that has the built in The built in re- thing, yeah. Yeah. Pretty nice.
2: Dude, I'm telling you what, man, uh I have never, he wants to go with you real bad. Um, you'd love that dude. He's like, his whole family's been loggers for a million years. He's the first one to not be a logger in, um, in, in Western Washington, you know. And he started out, he's like trained as an engineer, but started out making game calls. And he's just an incredible guy. But I hunted with him this year, and I've never seen, you know, I've been, like, I used to think Yanni was like, I used to think Yanni was like God when it came to elk calling. And Yanni hunts with Phelps, and Yanni's like, dude, I'm like, I felt like an idiot, like a child.
0: Well, he is a real wizard. I mean, I've heard videos of him online. Oh, my God. That guy's amazing. Uh,
2: He'd be like, no, that bull's going to come and look over right here.
0: <laughs> that uh, thing that he made is so good that I had my daughter, my 11 uh, year old, make uh, a, a bugle call. It was pretty fucking good. I'm seeing if I could find it because I filmed it because I just thought it'd be hilarious. Oh, her ripping
2: on it? See her first ever attempt. Yeah, Phelps is great. He's He's a good dude. He lives there, and then we have a you know we have another company that's with us called FHF. They make like the you know vinyl harnesses and oh, all you kinds guys are of, with them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, yeah. And they're what they're are they? they're in they're, they're in Belgrade, Montana. You
0: guys are like the Facebook of the outdoor. You just keep gobbling up all the competitors. Well, uh,
2: no. Uh, yeah, the government
0: needs to step in and break Paul, you guys up.
2: FHF gear was built. <laughs> FHF gear was built by a police officer, Paul Lewis. Still runs FHF gear. They do it's all American made. He's still in there. I it, like, have one of those. They're yeah. very good. His wife Jen Lewis, they work together. Um Phelps is still at Phelps Game Calls. Um me and him are doing a project where we've been filming this where we went to Kansas and we cut down a black walnut tree. And there's probably a thousand turkey calls hiding in that black walnut. And we're doing a thing about turning that black walnut tree into a thousand turkey calls. Oh, that's pretty cool. That'll be cool.
0: I'm trying to find this video, and I'm not going to.
2: Well, oh, your uh, daughter ripping on the yeah. metal bu- metal bugle tube. Yeah, because it's funny.
0: Because it's not bad for like a first ever attempt at blowing a bugle tube for a, a child. Yeah, it's pretty Fel- fucking good. Phelps
2: uh, he uh, Phelps at, he he holds the uh, the patent on uh, aluminum bugle tubes.
0: Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> Piece. it's interesting that everybody else was making them out of plastic and then he figured out there's a different sound
2: oh it's different yeah yeah um so yeah he's there and then and then we have our 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 media you know kind of like the media end of our business is based out of bozeman but we have content contributors like you know you've had clay new come on yeah he's in arkansas he's um, a Daniel, fucking
0: interesting guy oh
2: yeah danielle pruitt is here and she's in texas um mark kenyon's one of our what
0: is that what does she do
2: She's she's just a, a content contributor with us. She has a brand that she built up called Wild and Whole, um, and does is that a
0: podcast as well?
2: No, she doesn't do a podcast, but she does a lot of uh, she does a lot of hunting and fishing stuff, but a lot of culinary stuff. That's that's her particular area of interest. So she's there, and we work very you know she works with us. We work very closely. She's in Houston. Um, Mark Canyon's out in Michigan, so we have people all over content contributors, but we're we're based there in Montana. Do in you ever Bozeman. feel
0: like you get spread? thin with all that stuff like i know you have a lot of podcasts under the media umbrella and there's a lot of there's just a lot of stuff does it do i feel spread thin does it like does it feel the company like do you ever feel like it's difficult to keep track of everything and make sure that the quality is up to standard or that i haven't i
2: haven't felt that because um i haven't felt that because i feel that primarily it it's been able to sort of like let, let me speak to it in the way of what I'm involved with. Okay. okay. I mean, I'm involved in everything. And I have awareness of what goes on, but I have, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I have like a, a, a team of people that I work with on producing things that are like my my primary day-to-day responsibility being that we just launched season, like just a week ago, I think. We launched um, five new episodes on Netflix, right? Season nine? So that's our half, season 10 part A. Ah, just went live on netflix so like i'm heavily involved in making that um we do a lot of books i'm heavily involved in in our book projects i'm having heavily involved in certain stuff by having a team of people around um that i work really closely with it's just like you're able to like greatly amplify what you put out yeah like, i'm able to do more um and i had and that means a lot to me because i had spent my life up until we started a company i'd spent my life a lot of it just as one writer and it takes a couple years to write a book you know And so I would – my output was constrained by just like what was one person capable of doing. When I wrote my Buffalo book, I researched it for two years and then spent nine months writing the book. And I wasn't doing much else then. Now I'm able to do a bunch of projects and have stuff going out. So there's a cost. There's some cost to it, but mostly I view it as a tremendous amount of gain to be able to do all those things. In terms of getting into – you know, in terms of getting into working with brands that we love, um, so far it's been people that, like, the companies we work with are people that, First Light, for instance, was one of the first sponsors we ever had for our show. Vortex Optics and, and First Light were sort of the first two people that ever got behind our show. Um, I knew Phelps for a long time. I've been wearing an FHF vinyl harness. I mean, I remember like my late friend Eric Kern turned me on to FHF stuff like a bazillion years ago when, when Paul was just stitching away in his like basement or whatever, you know? So to have it be that those relationships matured and we kind of like came together under one company, I, I, it all seems like very natural to me. It all seems like just things growing and getting better. So I have never felt like too spread thin. Mm. Um, and then we have, I mean, like I said, we have a lot of people that kind of know what they're doing. Um I have to be pretty careful to I've had to learn to know what I don't know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. learn what I don't know, you know. I right. had to learn what I don't know. And to not and, and to give people like the faith to do the things they do. Right. So you that I don't know how to do to
0: become like a manager. Yeah. Almost. Man, I'm such a bad ways.
2: manager, man. That became clear through the pandemic and stuff. But no, I'm I i can not manage I can't really manage people. I I mean, I can. Why is that? Why can't I manage people? Because, that's kind of hard to explain. Um, I I, I only have one way of, like, um, that's a good question. I don't, I, I don't think I have developed multiple ways to interact with people. Huh. I sort of have like one way in which I can interact. Like I, I have one way in which I can interact with people. How? In what way? How, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, obviously, you have different way you interact with your
0: kids, and you do with your wife.
2: Okay, that's fair. When dealing with people, um, <laughs> when dealing with people in my age bracket, <laughs> I, I can't step into a role like I, I can't step into a position of being able to. Uh, not have it be very close and very personal, mm. I think a, a large thing is that you you've met some of the people I work with some of the people I, we spend an enormous amount of time together. We travel together we're like sleep in tents together we're together all the time um it's that i, I just I can only interact in the way that I've learned to interact with my peers through since I was a kid and I, and in and, and in that proximity, like I can't be that I'm going down to work and I need to put like my, my work way on. Mm. Um, I, I think that I probably uh, over, like I, I, I probably share too much information. I probably don't conceal my annoyance. Um I, probably have very like I have high expectations um yeah I don't know and uh and, and I and when I see people who are like actual people managers they have a more calculated approach and my approach I guess is is a very emotional
0: or more authentic the problem with those calculated people managers is they probably cut loose somewhere and some, you know, mm-hmm. they probably put on a dress and get a bunch of hookers or do yeah, something, could be. something nutty. where they, like. I, that's the thing about like, CEOs, right? They're the ones who always like to go to dominatrix and get kicked in the <laughs> balls.
2: Because <laughs> they're, they're being so calculated yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's like they're,
0: they're so wrapped up in this thing that they're doing. Like mm-hmm. you're, if you're a person and you're running a company, you're essentially performing all day long, right? Because you can only be a certain amount of yourself. Like most people like to tell jokes that are maybe inappropriate or use language that's maybe inappropriate or say things that everybody's thinking but you really shouldn't say. Yeah. And they like to do that occasionally. Well, if you're a CEO of some major company, that would come with enormous financial consequences. You know, like, um, as some a, of
2: them have found on this very yes, show. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, that was nothing. He just smoked a little weed. He, he made the money back the next day. The, the company went down like 6% and went up 9% the next day, oh, but everybody okay. wants to talk about the 6% It went down the first day. Yeah, no one wants
2: to talk about the 9%. Yeah.
0: 9% the next, everybody's like, look, it's a fucking giant company. It's going to go great. But like, uh, I was reading about, uh, someone from Bezos's blue origin company, right? Just got fired for something. It's like you, you, you're. You're, you're the way you're allowed to behave if you're a big wig in some sort of a, a large corporation is very narrow. Mm-hmm. There's a very narrow, acceptable way that you're allowed to behave and you're scrutinized like e- extremely closely. So if you want to be that guy that, has, um, that makes all this money and gets all this stock and has all this responsibility, you also have to behave in a way that's kind of unnatural. It's not not just that you're not allowed to do anything inappropriate, but that you have to have a very measured and unemotional tone. You have to be like very conscious of how people are, are going to perceive or even distort what you're saying. You know, look at it and and take it out of context. Or, I mean, it's a it's got to be an incredibly pressure filled thing to do. Yeah. You're doing that every day. Eight plus, I mean, no, no CEO really works eight hours a day, right? You're working nine, 10, 12, whatever the fuck it is. They, they got to do that every day. I mean, that's that's that's. How many of them die of heart attacks? How many of them die of cancer? How many of them like the pressure gets to be too much and they they can't take it?
2: Yeah. Uh, maybe that, better the way you behave. Maybe so. Yeah, and maybe some of my terminology is not wrong. I, I, I'm interested in um, I'm interested in in. To me the word leadership feels a lot different than the word management.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well leadership through example is uh is always uh an interesting thing because it's like there's certain people that you admire and the way they they live their life, like they're they're show, like Jocko Willink is a great example, right? He he shows leadership through example, like the way he lives his life, like very disciplined, very fair, very smart, very open minded and objective. Doesn't yeah. have any weaknesses in his like social game, but also, you know, just like a a, a real like uh, a prime example of discipline, you know, and through that you go, well, that's a leader. You know, you see. The, yeah, I that, got uh, you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I wind up. Um in 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 working with people, I wind up having a lot of love for people that will shovel shit uh that have that grew up and and know what that's all about right mm-hmm. um, that that probably more than any other thing means a lot to me like someone who will jump in and like shovel shit when it needs to happen uh, i like people who will take a bullet for what they're working on um who can articulate their perspective on something but no one to no one to give in yeah but can can fight just to the right moment right and then they're not doing it for the fun of it yeah but then in the end it's like okay now we got to move we got to go well haven't
0: been on your show a few times. I've always admired the amount of work that's involved, like for the cameramen um, and uh, the, the the folks that are running the show behind the scenes, sound, all that stuff. Because those guys are there 24 hours a day. Like if you're on a trip and that trip is a seven-day trip in the backcountry, it's not like you're doing an eight-hour-a-day job. That mm-hmm. is day job thats a 24 hour day experience. And your responsibilities, uh, obviously, work-wise, are from the time you start hunting to the time you're done hunting, and that is like from dark until dusk. You get up when it's dark, and you don't end hunting until it's unless you yeah. you're successful. Until it's dusk, you're filming the entire time. So these folks are working long hours, and then there's no hotel to go to. The hotel is a fucking thin foam thing <laughs> that's over rocks. And then you lay your sleeping bag over that and you're sleeping. And oftentimes you're freezing your dick off. Like when we were in Montana the first time, uh, first time I ever went with you, I was like, wow, this is a job. Like th- imagine this job where your job is all day. There's no, there's no like, I'm punching in, I'm punching out. Mm. There's none of that. The job is constant it's all day it's it's a very unusual job because if you looked at like the hours that those guys work it's it's hard to quantify because you're kind of working when you're fucking sleeping on a rock yeah that's just it's all the time yeah
2: and i uh in that management thing i guess some i have to remind myself to think like they're at work yes because i'm more like we're just in it yeah we're in it and you have to be in it but then i'm like holy shit these
0: dudes are at work and why not, in the world would they do that it's not like any other jobs like say if you're filming a television show an adventure show right and you're filming an adventure show and you you know you're you're looking uh at, you know mushrooms specimens in the woods you know you're, you're gonna have a shooting schedule mm-hmm. like at 8 a.m we're gonna have breakfast at nine thirty. you know paul's gonna go out and examine all these different mushrooms and show everybody and then we're gonna have dinner at 6 p.m You know, and then, you know, we're going to wrap it up for the day and then we're going to start up. And there's none of that with you guys. You guys are out there. Plus, you might be seven, eight miles from camp. Mm -hmm. And then you got to huff all the way back with fucking headlights on in the middle of the night. And then you're looking at your watch like, Jesus Christ, we got to be awake in seven hours. You know, and you haven't even eaten yet. And then you eat and then you crash. And then it's like, all right, everybody up. It's five. Like, fuck.
2: Yeah, we have a lot of what we would call death marches. (laughs) Um,. And one day we were trying to define what a death march is, and Yanni uh, feels that it's not a death march until there's a fight that breaks out. <laughs> the so People are arguing? About what way to go. Oh, know? that's
1: funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: no, it, I, I love it, man. Um, you, you develop very, you know, <laughs> intimate relationships with people, man. Yeah. You develop intimate relationships with people, and it's hard, and and, and for that professionalism and all that, it's... Doing that, you know, months for months to being together all the time in whatever, like in tents or in a rental house and in cars and just like, right. You, you, you can't stay, you you can't stay buttoned up quite like maybe how you're supposed to.
0: Right. Like if you were a CEO. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different kind of experience. And it's also an experience that I think is really lost in translation in all of hunting media. I think you do the very best at sort of, well, first of all, your show is fantastic because of your narration and because of the, 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 you have a very clear love of the wilderness and of animals and of the experience of hunting. But it's hard to encapsulate a seven-day really rigorous experience into an hour-long show, Mm -hmm. and it's lost. To people that don't experience, like to me who's done it with you, I can watch one of your shows and I go, man, I wish I was there the whole time where I would really get a sense of like how hard it was to find the bulls and then you hear them in the distance and then you got to walk three miles through this valley and try to get to this other ridge and then you glass them up and then they're already gone because they caught your wind and there's so much the seesaw ride of the experience of trying to navigate your way through the woods and hunt and then, yeah. the, and then the wild thrill of it being successful or the, the failure, all of those things are, you know, the, the, the worst thing that's ever happened to hunting, I think is hunting shows and that not yours, but a lot of them there, you know, there's like shitty music and bad writing. And it's like, it's all about the kill and. To people that don't have any experience doing that, they're watching and it's sort of encapsulated into this very brief moment of people laughing and hooting and hollering because they shot a deer. Like, why mm-hmm. is why are you happy? Like, people don't understand it. Like, what, what is happening here? Like, why are you happy?
2: Yeah, because you, yeah, you feel the experience hasn't yeah. been, hasn't like teed that up.
0: Yeah, it's, you're missing everything. Yeah. You know, it's like if all of romance was uh, boiled down to an orgasm. It's like Jesus. There's so much more to human experiences and relationships. There's so much more to hunting. There's like it's like everything else. Like there's so much more to uh, like. If if you only if you, you see a fight and you know uh, like that this guy punches that guy and that guy falls down. If that's all you see, if you're just like a highlight of a knockout, you're missing so much. And the struggle and the people that are in the camp with them, they're the only ones who really know. Like a people, if someone is in a camp. You know, with uh, you know Roy Jones Jr. in his prime, they see all the training leading up to the fight, and then the fight. Those are the people that get the real experience, and I feel like no one gets the real experience of hunting until you do it. It's it's uh, and it's one of the reasons why it it's so misrepresented and misunderstood in in the general public, in in the people that don't hunt in our in our culture hunting has gotten this very bizarre, bad rap, and even amongst people who eat meat. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is because of that. I think your organization and what you've done with Meat Eater, with your writing, uh, particularly with your show, is the best thing that's ever happened to hunting in mo- in the modern era because it, it explains it and displays it in a well-thought-out, intelligent way that's filled with emotion, and it's filled with uh, introspective thought and and in articulate discussion and in a way that people get a chance to see, oh, this isn't maybe I had the wrong impression of what this yeah. is. You know?
2: We uh we made many of our episodes that were they were twenty two minutes long. Um and we still on on you know on, on Sportsman channel, outdoor channel, um twenty two minutes. Yeah. That that thir- when you watch a half hour show you're watching twenty two minutes of stuff. Yeah. It's ve- and it's in in you know, traditionally we would produce it in a four-act structure. So you had an enormous amount of constraint on how you put this thing together. Um, premiering episodes on Netflix, you're not held to that. You don't, you're not held to like the act structure. You can kind of make them their own natural length. But we had a lot of training early on in, in making that happen. And that was the... Um, that's where the, the the skill of the editors is how do you take hours... How do you take maybe you know, I don't know 100 Days. hours of stuff and compress it down in 22 minutes in some way that was true to the experience? There's stuff you don't show. There's stuff you do show, but yeah, it's it's tight. It's 22 minutes. Uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to capture it. I, I think that the, the the key in doing it is that um, I'd always, I know I made the show with a, a lot of people who are like very key, and, and you know Mo right. You know, Mo, you know, Nick Brigden, like people early on that were like very involved in making the show what I was making. These people, these weren't hunters. They were people who were, were very interested in story. You know, they were very interested in sort of like the rhythm of a story, how a story got captured, how a story got laid out. And so they weren't coming from a lifetime of watching hunting media. They were coming from a lifetime of, of how do you do this thing, which is take mm. people on an emotional, like like create an emotional journey for someone doing something. right? And they applied that skill set with me, who had a level of subject matter expertise and had my, my own understanding of narrative that, that I developed as a writer, but like come in and apply that universal storytelling principles um, to this thing that other people might have felt was beneath them Mm. but they had the generosity of spirit in those early days they had the generosity of a spirit to take this thing and and see some kind of beauty in it and help develop it into a thing where they were like applying their expertise to it
0: then kind of the only time has ever been done before i don't think before you anybody had ever done it that way i mean in, in for context like mo fallon Went on to direct parts unknown. Yeah, with
2: Bourdain, and he was a he was an assistant to the film director Michael Mann. Yeah, I mean the dude went. And, I mean, you know, he and was he's a like bril- brilliant, brilliant, like guy. making. Yeah. You know, he went to Africa and worked on Ali. Yeah, right. Like yeah. he, uh, yeah, an incredibly
0: interesting person in his own right. Um, and for him to, and and then eventually became a hunter, which is interesting too. Yeah. Right through. Through doing your show,
2: what's what's funny about some of the guys that come on to work on the show is they wind up uh, having, they might not have hunted, but they wind up having um, quite an education. Yeah, and it and they, and they get where they uh, they get where they have you know, well earned opinions, and they're good at spotting stuff, and like, yeah. they got to develop where, you know, like Mo's modest, right? So he'd be the last guy that ever be like. He wouldn't, he wouldn't call himself a thing, but, but Mo's been exposed to during those years that he worked with us. Um, you know, Mo was exposed to kind of like more action than most people that Hunt are ever going to be exposed to. He's just exposed an enormous amount yeah. and, and processed it in an interesting way. When you see the the landscape of like uh,
0: hunting media, mm-hmm. like have you seen the the level of it come up since uh, Meat Eater? I mean, you guys it was like two thousand twelve. You came around. It's like been about nine years.
2: Yeah, we just this is our our tenth year, our tenth season. Um, I've have seen enormous changes, and uh, and it's hard to un, it's hard to untangle, um. What like, you know, the, the impacts of digital media, right? Because during that time, we were we were undergoing all this stuff with like distribution channels changed so much. And, and uh, you had um, sort of the gatekeepers melted away. Um, you have people producing a lot of stuff. Like our, our company, we do a lot of direct-to-YouTube series, you know, so you're able to have, you're able to put material out. So people that wanted to make good material might before, they, they, they hadn't fallen into, they didn't like line up with what, what people felt should be broadcast. Yeah. And now they're able to put out what they want to make. So it, it's hard to like, it's hard to untangle what might have happened in, in outdoor media from what is just happening in media. With right. the ability of like of, of with the ability of creative individuals to come out to come out, make a thing and then have the thing be seen by other people without it needing to be something that someone decided on.
1: Yeah.
2: And we're seeing that, you know, you're seeing that in all aspects of everything. But so have I seen big changes in, in hunting media? Absolutely. Because even in our own ability to put out material, I've seen enormous changes. Um we do tons more and we're able to do stuff without having someone say that it's okay to do it.
0: Yeah, that's such an important point because uh, without that point, I mean, without that ability, podcasts would have never existed. Mm-hmm. And it's all that no one would have ever let you do something like this. So yeah,
2: you wouldn't have gone and you wouldn't have gone and pitched it and had someone say yeah. But I, I, I do yeah, a, a lot's changed. I think that they're you know the the celebration the, the celebration of the culinary aspects of hunting and fishing absolutely they're they're far more represented now than they were ten years ago yeah I far mean, more represented
0: never saw it you just no. saw the kill um the first time I ever saw anybody cooking was on your show and uh, you know the first time I ever cooked any kind of wild game myself was on your show yeah you know, when we were when we shot that mule deer in montana
2: when i I'm, I'm very like I never would so much has been done like you can't you can't come in and ever claim to have, you know, you can't claim to have invented anything because there's so much stuff out there. But yeah, there's a there's a mix, there's a a mix of things covered that. Uh, we we cover a, a a sort of recipe or a formula of things that hadn't been covered quite the way we cover them.
0: Is there an issue now with YouTube where I know they have new guidelines for hunting where you're not allowed to show uh, the kill? You're not allowed to show like, the impact of a bullet or of an arrow. And I don't think you're allowed to show any kind of suffering. And uh, you may not be able to show butchering. I'm not sure about that. I don't that. believe
2: I, I, That has not been a thing that we've encountered.
0: There's a new thing about demonetization. Have you, have you seen these new rules? See if you can Google this. You might not even be aware of it because I think it's very recent. As a matter of fact, I think it came out last week.
2: Oh well, then that might be something that will come. Uh, if that's a demonetization issue, I haven't been.
0: Yeah, well, you know, YouTube has been very heavy-handed with their their this concept of demonetization, and it's sort of a way of uh, encouraging self-censorship. Sure and we found that out in a weird way when we stopped doing when we, we were moving from spot from YouTube to Spotify mm-hmm. all of a sudden all of our shows that used to be demonetized were no longer demonetized like like maybe 25% of our shows would be demonetized on yeah. YouTube I mean 25% of them would not be eligible for any sort of income that all changed as soon as we went over to Spotify then 100% of the shows got mon- monetized Upon closer inspection, the YouTube ad-friendly content guidelines was found that in July of 2021, the the policy was updated to make it clear that footage of animals in distress induced by human intervention may not run ads. Uh, Naturally, the hunting and killing of animals fall within the new guideline, meaning that hunting content as we know it can no longer be used to make money on YouTube. The exact policy reads as follows, you can turn on ads for this content, hunting content where there is no depiction of graphic animal injuries or prolonged suffering, hunting videos where the moment of kill or injury is indiscernible, and no focal footage of how this dead animal is processed for trophy or food purposes, Hmm. which is crazy. Well, it says, while they don't go into much detail. It seems clear that any impact shots or footage of an animal after it's been shot is no longer acceptable to make ad revenue. So the thing is, like, how far—this is from bowhunting.com. Yeah,
2: I don't know, because I was watching—I uh, I really don't. I I can't comment on it. I don't know how—I can't comment on it. I don't know how it's being interpreted. I was watching things this morning, not our own material, but I was watching things this morning that were monetized that would— that would. Um. Not conform. Here's where they
0: might not have put that in effect, but here's sure. where it gets squirrely. We've seen things that were not monetized, meaning the people who created them do not get money, mm-hmm. but there's still ads on them. Oh yeah. So right. I is that that's real, right? Yeah. Correct. I mean, where things were not monetized. Like they're serving
2: ads on their platform, but turn, they're not sharing. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Whereas like the creators don't get money, but there was an ad on it. Hasn't that been a complaint that people have levied before? I don't necessarily think that's happened to us, but I do believe that has been a complaint that uh, people have said, hey, my video's demonetized, but it still has an ad on it.
3: Oh, I see what you're saying.
0: That's real, right? I'm sure Let's is? Let's Google that, just to be know. sure. And in fairness to YouTube, I mean, I always say this, and it's, it's an important point. YouTube is managing at scale in, a, in an impossible volume. The amount of people that are uploading videos to YouTube on a daily basis, and to to even hire uh, people that are supposed to watch all that shit as it's being made is impossible. Yeah, there's no way you could do it. No, you have
2: you have have hundreds of hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours of content uploaded every minute.
0: Yeah, I mean, just imagine assigning someone to listen to this fucking show, Mm -hmm. to watch every episode, (laughs) three fucking hours every day. This motherfucker he takes up half my day.
2: Yeah, but that part of the thing of, of having a media company, you know, is where we put a lot of focus. Is I'm very interested in. I'm, I'm very interested in a, in a broad distribution.
0: Yeah, here it is right here. Oh. YouTube will put ads on non-partner videos, but won't pay the creators. Yeah, YouTube said an update to its terms of services this week that it has the right to monetize all content on its platform. As such, it said it will start putting ads on videos from channels not in the YouTube Partner Program, oh. which shares ad revenue with creators. So hmm. yeah, that's it.
3: That's what Facebook does though. I yep. mean, yeah. did for yep. 15 years or whatever yep. it was for a yeah. long time.
0: So. Well, that was the, the crazy thing about YouTube, right, was that YouTube, in you know a remarkable, fair move, decided to share revenue with the people that are creating content, encouraging people to create content. Yeah. Because I feel like if they didn't do that, people would still have created content. Like, they really didn't have to do that. Yeah. And I remember when they first started doing it, when we we first started making money, we are like, you can make money?
2: Yeah, we had a a podcast episode the other day with an early YouTuber, a dude named Jared Outlaw, like an early YouTuber, and he talked a lot about that being a major transition point. Mm, And, like, as an early YouTuber, it was when – Monetization became possible that it just really transformed the YouTube community. And he was, he like identified as a YouTuber. But in in, with media, a thing that I remain very interested in is this like diversification of distribution because you are so vulnerable, yes, all the time. Yeah, um, we put like we, we publish with Random House, um, we produce podcast that we distribute as free materials podcasts. but then we just you know we just recently released a a very high grade audio original thing through Random House and it was not even it, we released a book that never had a book version so it was our our project campfire stories released it with them do stuff on social uh release material through traditional we still work with sportsman channel right everywhere all the time so that you don't feel like someone's going to like unplug you all of a sudden. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We were in this situation before the Spotify deal where I was very nervous because we would have controversial discussions, you know, discussions on controversial subjects. yeah, like And subjects that where you would get removed, even if what you're saying was correct. Like a perfect example is the lab leak theory, like the lab leak theory for COVID-19. Oh yeah. You
2: used to be. Yeah. You used to be a nut job for thinking that that was plausible. Exactly.
0: But I had people on the podcast in April of 2020 saying that, and I was labeled a dangerous conspiracy theorist yeah. by like these different left-wing media platforms that had decided that there was only one narrative, despite the fact that I had evolutionary biologists that were explaining in detail why, when you study these yeah. viruses, it appears they've been manipulated. I remember
2: it being very naughty. Very naughty. Very naughty to think that a place— that studies coronaviruses um, would have it be that someone would catch a coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: hilarious, at right? that Place. I mean, very but, yeah. Was, and the fact that what, you, it broke out right wing, not it broke out in the very exact town and the exact neighborhood where this fucking level four lab yeah. is. But that was part of the problem with having a president like Trump, who is so fucking polarizing, that anything that he agreed with, people immediately disagreed mm, with it. Yeah, I mean, he could have agreed with some of the most amazing inventions in the history of the world. You'd be a racist if you agreed with them because of the fact that Trump was a proponent of them, sure, that he was yeah. promoting them.
2: So I, I recognize. I, I, I always fantasized about a quiet, a quiet version
0: of Trump. Yeah. Oh, like someone that you would have
2: that many policies he could have pursued many policies or, for, or let me put it this way, Obama could have sold many of his policies and people have been like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah. Well, he, in fact, he did, yeah.
0: particularly the stuff about the border. When people talk about how Trump was so horrific in his border. Like there's speeches where Obama is talking about how we can't have porous borders, and we have to protect our borders, and, and people are like, oh yeah, you know it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is outrageous today. But you no, he that could. Today. It would
2: have been interesting to pursue many of his policy positions in a in a way where he would come and be like, you know, I see both sides, but you know, after yeah. careful consideration, <laughs> well, it's it's f- hard, right?
0: Because the guy's entire career, he had this one persona: this "fuck you, pay me, mm-hmm. I'm the man." You know yeah. uh, you know you're fired he, like he was always like Rosie's gross he, like, he always had like Rosie O'Donnell's disgusting person, like he would like insult people openly and that was part of his thing and he did it while he was president, which was wild. It was wild to see like yeah. a, a president a sitting president talking about a woman he had sex with and calling her horse face. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember seeing that on Twitter going, this is crazy like he's not changing at all, but that's what got him to the dance. But that's all that's what got people excited about him. Oh, he's real, he's PC. But it also really fucking polarized the people that were in opposition to him. And so because of that, everybody kinda of lost their mind. Yeah. And it became where you couldn't even discuss things with actual experts that were experts in the field that you were discussing, people that had no education in it whatsoever were deciding that these subjects were off limits and now would be demonetized. And I I saw that coming I was like, that's a real problem for me because I'm not going to change how I do this show. I'm -hmm. gonna, I can't. There's no reason, I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't enjoy it, I'd hate myself. If there was subjects that were taboo that I found profoundly interesting and I didn't discuss them because I thought I would be demonetized, I would be fucked. I would be like, why am I doing this then? Why don't I quit? Because I want it to be just like if you and I were having a conversation, if we were sitting across a fucking dinner table or we're hanging out at your house and we just start talking about stuff and it's interesting, I want to just talk about it. I just want the cameras to be on it so other people could be in on the conversation, but I'm not going to change how I do this. I'm never going to change how I do this. So we were in this situation where I was like, okay, well, should we start putting stuff on?" We put stuff on Vimeo for quite a while. I'm like, should I start expanding and looking for other online uh, video platforms? Would that water us down? Would that help us? And then I started thinking about all these other social media platforms. Maybe I should join them and start posting them, but a lot of them are like, you get labeled a right-wing kook if you're on these, and you know, there's all these QAnon folks on there, and you know, it's so, it's one of those things where we're in uh, such a strange time when it comes to media. Because everybody is sort of making the rules up as they go along, and the amount of censorship that these companies are allowed to—they're—they're they're allowed to employ—with no real regulations in terms of like, you know, the First Amendment or—they're yeah, pro- they're privately held companies. I know they are, but they're so big that they're not really the—it's not—it's not simple anymore. Like Twitter is responsible for. An enormous portion of the world's discourse, yeah. And to say that that's just a private company, then these people that run this private company, like who are they? Like they, they're the arbiters of information. They're the, the people that are allowed to decide based on their own policies, mm-hmm. which is based on their own
2: ideologies, what is and is not acceptable. But you're one of the bi- you're one of the country's biggest media personalities. How odd. Well, it's, I'm just telling you. I don't, I don't know. know if you don't know this. You are. That's what I heard. Okay. Uh are you willing to have someone come to you and say that you need to be more fair to everyone because you have outsized influence? It's the opposite. I, I would lock
0: want other people to be able to talk freely the way I'm able to talk freely. I wouldn't want I would want to restrict their ability to do a podcast just because I'm doing a podcast. Yeah, it's good. And point. If, I, if I yeah, <laughs> if I have an opinion on things, yeah. I, I think I always think that the answer. And I've been wrong before, and if I'm wrong, I always try to correct myself. If I find out that I'm wrong, I'm not one that tries to bury like an incorrect statement. I will try to expose it and try to explain how I was incorrect. Yeah, I don't think anybody would trust you if you don't do that, especially when you're doing something like this where, you know, we don't talk before this. We this is one subject that we did talk about before this. So we what, what was the it, deer. deer, the deer thing. No, deer, you told me not deer to talk having about. COVID. It. Yeah, I was like, let's not hold that. Let's talk about it on the podcast because I knew it was interesting. Deer having COVID, but there's. We don't have, like, a set agenda. So when you don't have a set agenda, there's oftentimes you're going to come across things, and thank God Jamie's the best one-handed Googler in the business.
1: Mm-hmm. Cause Very it, good. like
0: I don't know what the fuck we're going to talk about while we're talking. That's part of the fun of the show is that it is just a conversation. Yeah. As soon as I micromanage that and change, it's like it's going to lose whatever appeal it has to me because the appeal it has to me is, like, to be able to have conversations. I want everybody to be able to do that. The problem with people that have rigid ideologies that also have the power to decide what people can and can't do is that you get situations like the lab leak hypothesis, where they're wrong, and they're, they're banning people, and they're censoring people, and it goes on for months and months and months, and it destroys people's faith in free expression. It, is, it destroys the ability to have conversations about the subject that are important. Because you have to say, well, why do you believe that this leak hypothesis is probable? When then you have an evolutionary biologist on, or a virologist or an epidemiologist, and they start explaining things or, or, or debating it in, in, in a way that it seems like it's not possible. And you, you can't have those conversations if someone has an ideological opposition to an idea based on a person who's a proponent of that idea, like Donald Trump, yeah. saying it's the Chinese virus, and then all of a sudden... Everybody says, well, if you discuss it, having leaked from a lab that you're a racist. And then, you know, you've got to be able to figure out what's right and what's wrong. The only way is through discussion. The only way. It's the only way. You can't have a person who decides, you can no longer talk about this subject because this subject has detrimental effects on X, Y, or Z. Well, says who? Because some people would say it doesn't. And some people would say, well, X, Y, and Z are problematic because you can't have that discussion. So they're, they're these sacred top topics that you can never really get an understanding of. And then they're like a religion. Like, what are they now? And now, now You're not allowed to take the Lord's name in vain. You're not allowed to talk about the Wuhan Clinic. Like, what, what are we doing? Like, are we talking? Or, or are we under this, this w- weird uh, censorship of these people that really don't have any expertise in the subject at hand? You can have expertise in every subject, so as soon as you have people that are ideologically opposed to certain discussions, you've, you've got a real problem with free speech. And I think that an argument can be made with all these social media platforms, that they're so fucking big now that they can influence so much of the world's discussions that we have to figure out where we stand in terms of free expression. Because if you say to a person, you can't talk on Twitter. Because uh, you don't believe in uh, that a, a man can be a woman, that's a good example, right? Because like, that's one of the things that gets you banned from Twitter mm. if you don't believe a man can be a woman, you know, like a trans woman, or if you use some. This is one that you get banned from. T- if you decide to become Stevena, Ranella, mm-hmm. and you ch- change, and I st- keep calling you Steve, a little old Steve Ranella. Like I'm dead naming you. It's called dead naming, hmm. and that's a ban. For I hadn't life. heard that word. You get banned for life. This this Uh. is crazy because like that's your name. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. right? It's been your name for 40-plus years Why can't I call you that anymore? That's so offensive, but I can call you a cunt I can call you a dope, I can call you a, a stupid piece of shit and that's fine. But if I call you by your old name, I'm dead naming you. Well now we're, we're in a weird ideological thing, right? Because we've decided this is a protected class of people and that you can't even have this uh, offensive discussion about this protected class of people. So you've set up almost like this religious barricade to free expression about this one very, in your ideas, sensitive subject. That's nonsense. That's a crazy way to dictate how people can and can't talk, and you develop this. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to have these people that are going to say things in behind closed doors and be terrified that other people are listening, and that's that shouldn't be the that way on the internet, especially when you're dealing with, you know, I mean, fuck most of the people on Twitter, they're not even using their name; they have some fake name yeah. in their profile.
2: I yeah, to challenge orthodoxy. Um you either have to get really good. Uh, y- if you're going to challenge orthodoxy, you have to be so good that you can do it in a way that you don't like set off the alarms. <sighs> Certain comedians are able to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's comedians are probably the best trained to do it.
0: Yeah, you can wiggle. You can wiggle your way, but it has to have like an impact. But in, 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 oftentimes, like people will take what you're doing out of context. Oh I yeah, that to me. You, oh, for
2: sure. Yeah, I see that happen to I see that happen to comedians. I think like a lot of comedians, um, I've even I've brought this up that I, I think that you do this, whether you mean to or not. There's a you build a sort of balance in it, and what makes it okay to laugh about stuff is you're willing to laugh about yourself and you're willing to laugh about your own opinions. Oh, I mean, you're willing it. to laugh about your own yeah. history. Okay, uh, that gives that gives people some room to play. Yes, but when you strip out certain portions, you can make someone look terrible sure out of context in quotes in an article
0: yeah i have a whole bit about it about some of the stuff that happened to me during the election with bernie sanders because Mm. it was so hilarious to read these articles where they're taking jokes and they're just taking a small snippet of yeah i i saw some of that material hilarious yeah this is a problem with a lot of discourse in today's society because people are being they're they're being dishonest in doing that. They're being dishonest, and if you can't reply to that, if somehow you're, you're banned from Twitter or you're banned from YouTube or you're banned from Facebook or so something like this comes up and you have no recourse, there's no way you can defend yourself, Like that to me is a, a real issue because I've seen so many people mischaracterized, misquoted, taken out of contest or even lied about Like, I've had fucking CNN say I'm taking horse dewormer. Mm. I've seen that. When I've got ivermectin prescribed by a doctor that's meant for humans and a medication that actually won the Nobel Prize for its use in humans. And CNN lies about it. And they do it on purpose and they know what they're doing. So it's like, if if you can't defend yourself or there's nowhere you can say the truth, like... What are we doing? Like, what are we doing? We just allow do we have just sanctioned bodies that are allowed to manipulate reality for their own financial benefit or to, to promote whatever narrative that they think is uh, either beneficial or sanctioned? Like, is that free speech? That's not free speech. So, if you can't defend yourself on Twitter, if you can't defend yourself on Facebook or YouTube, if you don't have a podcast, those are your options. And if they remove you from one of those options or all those options, like that was one of the crazy things that the White House press secretary said, is that if you get removed from any social media platform for misinformation, you should be removed from all of them. Well what about if you're right? That's what she said, which is so crazy, like that's not your position, okay? Your position is to be saying what the president will do or won't do, what is the policy? answer the reporter's questions, not, you're not, your job is not to dictate what social media companies do or don't do in terms of misinformation, and to, to even think that this is your place to manipulate or suggest is fucking chaos. It's crazy. It's crazy that we're in a position where a person would say something like that. We should ban more people for misinformation. Well define misinformation, because you give a lot of it yourself. Like, the fucking White House press secretary is responsible for the occasional misinformation. Yeah. Like, what happens there? Should you be banned? Because that seems like, you know, if we're going to hold everybody to the same standard, we should be really clear about this. Like, what does that mean when you say misinformation? If someone fact checks you and they find you to be in error and you do not correct it publicly, what are we supposed to do about that? Should you be banned from being a White House press secretary? Should you be banned from being able to speak on social media because you've been proven to be incorrect Possibly willfully, I think we need free expression. We need free expression to sort it all out And it's very convenient for people to just want to silence people who say things that they don't like or say things They think are inappropriate, but it's not healthy The only way we figure out what's right is you let everybody talk and it's messy and it's complicated And in and a lot of times people say things you don't like but that's how you sort out What's how you feel about things? It takes a long time. It takes a long time to g- gather up a true opinion on a subject, and one of the only real
2: ways is to get a, a view of it from all sides in in history, we typically, after a period of fifty years or so, look back and condemn any occasion where we have suppressed dissenting views mm
0: hmm yeah, I think we're going to be here, too.
2: Blacklisting people yep. you know, from the Red Scare. Yep. Uh, issues that came around, civil liberties for certain minority groups during World War II. Uh, this just winds up being like a theme, and later we'll look and be like, ah, you know. Yeah. that was a We got a little carried away there. Um, people after the terror—it hasn't been 50 years by any stretch, it's been 20 years—people after the terror attacks at 9-11 who questioned certain orthodoxy about um, what we should do militarily, Right we're put in a certain place and now it's like we're dusting off and kind of like re-looking at these early whistleblowers. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the history of this stuff gets written. Um, particularly around questions around like when you dare question COVID orthodoxy. Yeah. Um, I've been on, you know, I've been, I've had it. I got the vaccine. I was kind of misled because I thought the government was going to try to take my brain over. I wanted to get what in the ring. Mean? I wanted to get in the ring with them and fight it out, but nothing happened. You know. What do you mean? Oh, just I'm, I'm make, making a joke about the different people's concerns about the vaccine. And I got the vaccine, and I felt like nothing happened to me.
0: Oh, well, you, some people thought it had mind control agents. In yeah, it. I've, heard really? all, I've, I've heard. I've heard, that heard all manner of things. I've heard magnets. So, I've so, seen people. <laughs> you see people. On, there's hours and hours on YouTube, or at least there were, of people putting magnets on their uh, injection site and they think that somehow or another oh, there's like draw a chip the, in there. to draw it back out? No, no, they think there's a chip <laughs> in there, like the magnet sticks. Oh, no, I didn't even try that. I mean, I don't know why it sticks. I mean, I, I don't know if it's bullshit. I don't know if they're making things
2: up. Yeah, my po- I, I guess my primary point around that is that I have, uh, th- through this, I have been on many sides of issues and have largely tried to just, like, roll through it um, and not have people tell me what to do. Right. So and looking at travel restrictions, I'm like, oh, I want to avoid travel restrictions, even though I already had COVID. Right. I'm like, I'm going to go get the vaccine because I don't want to have any kind of travel restriction. Which one did you get? Moderna. Did you have any side effects? Because that's the strongest one. Mm, No. Yeah. For a couple hours, I felt a little weird.
0: How many um, months was it between your infection with COVID and then getting the shot?
2: I think I got it as soon as I think you had to wait. I think I got it as soon as I could. So like three months or something? Yeah, whatever the hell they told you. Yeah. I was concerned about, like like I said, I was concerned about travel restrictions. um And I just was kind of like going along with the program. And did you get two shots or did you get one? Two shots. Two shots. Whatever distance yeah. apart. Yeah. And nothing really happened. I didn't really get that. I got sleepy when I had COVID. I got achy when I had the vaccine. But, I you know, I've held all these different opinions, like deep frustration. I went from being that right away, I was like, oh, it's just a thing we're going to have to live with everyone will wind up getting it. Then I got like really hopeful that maybe it'll somehow go away and everybody get vaccinated and it'll go away. Then the vaccine came out and people I know that got vaccinated got COVID. Then I was back to thinking that that everybody's just going to wind up getting it. So I have sat on so many sides. Like like I've sat on every possible side of this thing. Yeah. And at this point now, I just, you get to a point where you, Uh, It's kind of like throwing my hands up in the air, and it's become – and as I've thrown my hands up in the air about, like, not understanding it, losing faith that anybody really understands it right now, it's been now difficult for me to see people getting punished for challenging the orthodoxy when everything has changed so much. It's like, how could any person sit right now and act like you have, like, the authoritative view on what's going to happen? Yeah. And this is coming from someone who's played along with the program every step of the way. And w- I, when I come out the other side of it, I just like I have like a deep skepticism. Yeah. And not that I not that I feel that there's a you know, I, don't, I don't feel that there's like some grandmaster plan. I just have a deep skepticism of anyone coming in and being so positive about something that they're going to punish someone for having some different view. I, I think at this point it's like pretty fair for people to to sit and hash out. What they think's going on in, in terms of where you're getting at with just like the, the social media climate and, and how it has been used in that way to sort of like punish dissenting voices or exclude dissenting voices. I think that I have a perhaps an unusual perspective on it, because for my entire career, I've dealt with a set of ideas that are inherently controversial. Um, uh, I'm a firearm owner Um I support Second Amendment rights. All my material involves guns. We kill animals and eat them, right? Uh, these things all existed. Like this set of ideas and set of interests that I had existed pre social media. So a- as social media came to be a thing, I've always lived within the context of how do I take things that are, that are, um, that, that, the, the people that hold distribution channels are probably going to have a semi-adversarial view of. And how do I find a way to keep dealing with the ideas I want to deal with and distribute the ideas and distribute the imagery and distribute the, 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 the content that I want to make in a way that conforms to their view so that I can keep doing it? So I, I feel like I've always, like a little bit of been like a, um, you know, like, like a, a, a spy Kind of like living in this other world in some way. Like I'm used to feeling like someone's gonna come and take my shit away from me. You know? Hmm. Yeah, I see what like you're I, saying. Like when we, you know, when we first started to run shows on Netflix, I, I even told I, I couldn't even get excited about it. I was like, that shit won't be there a day.
0: It I won't remember,
2: be there a day. I remember having this conversation
0: with you because it was like one star. You guys had like one star because <laughs> back during the star days, people were attacking your show because. Yeah. It was the first show that Netflix had that showed actual hunting. Yeah, and I was how, like, did, how did that, I wanted to talk to you about that? How did that come about? Like, what was the the conversation? Because that's a brave move for them to decide to take something that's traditionally been on the Sportsman's Channel or the mm-hmm. Outdoor Network and then to put it on
2: Netflix. Uh, we worked with a, we worked with a company that handled distribution and. This is years ago now. We worked with the company that handled international distribution, and the company that handled international distribution had some connections in Netflix, and Netflix purchased what was called a second window. Um, Were they hesitant at all? Did, they, did you have con- conversations about content or anything? They may have been hesitant, but they didn't tell us anything about the hesitancy. In fact, um, I have never, and this is after years, I have never had a discussion over there uh, that even alludes to it. Interesting. Yeah, and you saw their response when when people were getting up in arms about that cuties thing.
0: Well, that was crazy, right?
2: Like that was the degree to which there's there's a thing like the degree to which you stand by producers and the degree to which you stand by your ideas. It just hasn't been. It has been a thing. But I assumed. I, I wake up. I used to wake up every day thinking that oh, there's no way we're gonna be able to stay on Instagram. There's no way we're going to be able to be on YouTube. Right. There's no way we're going to be all on Twitter. And then at the same time um, that I'm like worrying about that, we have, you know, our material gets outward validation from we're on, you know, like a, a large streaming service. We publish with Random House. So we have certain people who are very, very intimate with our material, being okay with it and distributing it and, and, and allowing us to monetize it. And at the same time, feeling like, someone at any minute is just going to like drop it out because we use firearms, mm. you know, the, the funniest thing is through all this, it's like, you'd imagine we get attacked from the right more than the left. Really? Oh, far. Yeah. Always like Always like, I mean, we get attacked from the left and the right, but we get attacked from the right more than Over we get attacked. What? Ta- you know, I, I think it's kind of like it. it I, I think that, that, so a lot of what we do makes people uneasy that there's sort of a new like there's this kind of like new emerging thing that has maybe disrupted some traditional um that has disrupted some traditional monopoly they held on certain audiences um it would be that uh somehow, even though everything we make, virtually everything we make has firearms in it, every show we put out has firearms in it, it's that you don't love firearms enough, which is just like, it's it's always confusing to me. So when... (laughs) I mean, we get attacked from the left. Like, we get attacked from the left some. It'll always be like a little bit of a... It'll always feel very nuanced when you're attacked from the left, but we get a lot of heat. Most of the heat we get would be from the right.
0: Wow. Oh, yeah. I would have never expected that.
2: Yeah, be that you, um, like, you do something. It's like... You're too woke. Uh, you're not woke enough. You, uh, you know, it'd be like you glorify guns, but then the louder voice would be like, but they don't glorify them enough. Really? Oh, dude, all the time. It's crazy. I but can't I think imagine. it's because I think it's from being, you know, it's from getting getting to a position where uh, people, f- you know, there's some people that probably feel like a little left out. Yeah, that's probably it. You know, they feel a little left out and it's like a
0: little bit like, Arr! I had a guy explain that to me. It was really interesting. He said, uh, you have to be careful because you give off the impression that you're having a party inside of a walled garden. Mm. And he said, people on the outside are like, well, fuck those people. Mm-hmm. And that's, he goes, you're getting a lot of hate in that way where people misconstrue you purposefully. They do it on purpose because mm-hmm. they they don't like... The feeling that they're not invited to this thing and some of them might even be your peers yeah I'm like wow i never thought of it that way he goes you have to be like you have to reach out to those people and try to like try to welcome them oh and then they'll tell me but i don't want to reach out i want they've already been an asshole.
2: yeah i feel like you could find <laughs> another i've looked at another thing where i've seen um in my life where i've seen that that um that uh that a a, a christian might be deeply troubled by a Mormon, okay? And they might be very fixated on the threat of Mormonism. And you'd be like, man, I feel like you'd be worried about devil worshipers. <laughs> yeah. Like that to me seems like, yeah, who like I would have a, I'd be after the devil worshipers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're like, no, I, I'm after this thing that's a little bit different than me, you know? Yeah. And it's such a crowded, confused world. And and when you kind of like survey the enemies, when you sort of find that, um, you know, you find that that uh, the people that are a little bit like it'd be like if during World War Two, we had decided to go and uh, like, you know, bomb England because they weren't like totally on board with our plan rather than staying focused on the freaking germans mm. you know and so i think that a lot of that like a lot of that heat is coming from people who you know they're they're looking and like you're a lot like us but maybe you're a little bit different
0: maybe and it also could be that you're getting all these accolades that they're not and so then they try to find reasons why you suck yeah sure there's a lot of that right? oh yeah it's plenty so of them
2: nice. plenty of reasons why <laughs>
0: yeah it's uh it's interesting. And that's one of the more interesting things about social media, right? It's like a lot of the things that if people have said sort of behind closed doors, now they're said in, the, in a, sort of an open forum, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, uh, it just shows you how, how petty. And, and, and also like a lack of uh, emotional development that some intelligent people have, like they're they could be accomplished and intelligent and successful and they still act like fucking babies mm. like they're still this is like like why do you care like if there's a show and you, you don't think they glorify guns enough and you're angry at them like are you doing you enough shit in your own life to focus on like, what oh, if, yeah, like why you know. why are you focusing on that it's usually because you know you're you're probably at least a little jealous unless you've done something egregious like you've actually campaigned against second amendment rights which of course i know you would never do but if you did like then they'd be like well this is crazy this fucking show they use guns and then they campaign against guns so hypocritical but that's not the case no no so for you saying that you're getting a lot of hate from the right that means there's a lot of dummies on the right that's what i think yeah
2: you know i i I do wonder about it and again it's uh you get like you you experience this all the time. You get in trouble for having and, and talk about getting in trouble from the right and the left. You get in trouble for having conversations with certain people. Yeah, you yeah. know we had a um, we had a Native American historian and activist named Taylor Keene in our podcast. So um, he said some things that people view as controversial around um, like you know around things like picking up a yeah arrowhead. I listened off, to that picking one. an arrowhead up off the ground or the land back movement. Right. So, uh, people are pissed. Yeah, they're pissed that you know he said the things he said. Yeah, you deal with this all the time. Yeah, um, Tucker Carlson came on the show, and people are then mad about that you talk to him. Yeah, they're mad that you. We had um, you platformed. Him. Yeah, we had a woman named Rue Map on from um, Outdoor Afro. Okay, so she talked about her experience as a black woman in the outdoors. Right, uh, great conversation. People get really pissed. They're like pissed. At, they're just mad that she came on. And she said, "Well, not only in talking to her, Rue pointed out to me that people are going to be mad at her for talking to me." <laughs> Yeah. After we got the recording, she's like, you know, you're going to get in trouble for talking to me, and you know what's funny, and you'll never, you probably don't realize this, I'll get a bunch of shit from coming talking to you guys.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, it was an interesting conversation. I, but, I
2: enjoyed it a lot. But the 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 right, they get, um, as much as people on the right right now are against cancel culture, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm glad they are, um, they seem very like oftentimes representations of that perspective seem to be guilty. Like they, they seem to be guilty of their own crime by being very eager to restrict certain voices that don't conform to them. And I do um, try, Like I do try to like invite a, a, a variety of voices. Okay. And, 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 Represent like kind of opinions that I think are interesting, and not every opinion that comes out in in my material is necessarily my opinion. But I try to do it, and it just makes people mad because people want you to be their thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, I uh, experienced that with uh, Evan Hafer from Black Rifle Coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, he was experiencing some weird cancel culture shit from the right. online. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I called him. I go, come on the podcast. I go, we got to talk about this because this is so ridiculous. Like this is, these are the people that have been rallying against this for the four years that Trump was in office and rallying against this for the year that Biden's been in office or less than a year. And now they're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing the same thing. It's almost like, well, they get to do it. We'll do it too. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make any sense. No, they
2: weren't going after the devil worshipers. <laughs> no. No, they
0: were going after people that were very similar to them, but also wildly successful. That's part of the problem. Like Black Rifle Coffee is a wildly successful organization. No, I,
2: I watched that with great interest. Um I'm friend, you know, I I'm friends with Evan. We have a hunt together coming up. Uh I watched with great interest to be like how like how uh yeah like the friendly fire incidents, yeah
0: how is anyone justifying that? yeah, yeah.
2: it's nonsense we're fighting we're fighting people <laughs>
0: we're definitely that in this country, yeah, well, people love to talk shit too, and you know, and they, they get caught up in petty bickering.
2: do you know what though I gotta say this, man um all the divisiveness it's like the thing that blows my mind though is when I go about my daily existence um if i didn't know it wasn't all going on from the news and social media and stuff when i wrote my, my own daily existence and just the interactions i have with people yeah fuck i would never know what was happening
0: yeah how is that possible because that environment is, I just uh, think that, like, oh, right. you
1: know, hey, because the environment <laughs> of up? social
0: media is a terrible environment for human communication. The environment when you're going about your daily business is normal. You're talking to people, and most of the time, like, sometimes you yeah you know, sometimes people have like a weird opinion of someone, and then they talk to me. Like, oh, he's a good guy. Yeah. Like this happened to me a couple of days ago. Someone told me that there's this uh, this business thing that I'm doing, and like this guy is a real problem. He's just He's very full of himself. You're you're not going to enjoy it. I'm like, wow, shit. Okay, well, I'm just going to put my best foot forward and see what happens. I meet the guy, and he's wonderful. Mm -hmm. He's friendly. He's nice. And then I'm like, oh, maybe that other person was a fucking pain in the ass. And they met this guy, or maybe that guy had a cold that day. I mean, I don't know. When he he met that other person, maybe. Who the fuck knows what it is? Like, people are different on different days for different reasons. But I had it in my head, but then I met him, and he was great. I had a great time. So- Something about human interaction when you're together the way we're supposed to look at each other in the eye Have a conversation be close to each other like physically in the room with each other That's how humans are meant to communicate when we're communicating anonymously through text messages or arguing about things on Facebook and these fucking long verbose Passages like it's not normal. It's not a normal way where you get to just fucking expand upon something for Paragraph after paragraph where no one says well, that's fucking wrong and that's not true Or that's not what I said and this is not what I meant and you're changing this and taking this out of context people people get more Angry with each other when you don't get to respond when someone says something and you're like you're like well That's not me. Fuck you and and, and then they it's designed in a way That is not compatible with human emotions with normal human interactions, with social cues, and mm-hmm. reading each other's, like, be, like Louis C.K. had a bit about this once, about kids and uh, kids doing things online, that kids like to be mean online, because it's like it's like fun and they don't feel anything. Like if some kid is in front of you and they say something mean, and then the other kid feels bad and starts crying, they go, oh, well that doesn't feel good. Yeah. But they say it online, they're like, oh, fuck him, hey, you fat fuck, and they say it, and then no, they don't feel anything. Because there's no one there. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the impact on the other person is real. It's a terrible way to communicate. And this is the way that a lot of ideas get discussed. A lot of people are communicating that way. And as detailed by these documentaries like The Social Dilemma and, you know, these different books that have been written about this problem and, and that woman who just uh, testified, which is kind of crazy, right? The, the day the woman's testifying sure. about the problems with Facebook is the day Facebook goes down. But and there's a lot of conspiracies about that, right? But that this this is an issue. It's is an issue that they're aware of inside the company and that they chose profit over rectifying this issue. They're like, Well, this is what we do though. They're like, we're making a lot of money doing this. You know? And I think that in the wild, when people are just running into each other, we're still just people.
2: Isn't there the Maybe I'm wrong about this, but isn't the inception of that app, like the, what they were fixing to make, was they fixing to make a way you vote people up and down?
0: I think it was just a dating app. Wasn't Facebook originally a dating app?
2: To, to vote. So,
3: yes. To who you wanted to be like. Yeah. Yeah. There were other pop, uh, apps around the same time where were like that, where you would find someone hot and you'd click, yeah, they're hot and they'd get like... <laughs> Ranked higher, so
2: it's no like, fuck. They, yeah, maybe it hasn't drifted too far. From. Maybe, yeah. Well,
0: the thing about Facebook is, I, I think when they do their prognosis on the future, it skews so old, like it's uh, young people are dropping off of the use of Facebook pretty radically. Oh, and yeah. they, see if that's true. I'm pretty sure that's true. I read something about it today, but I was only like gave it a cursory examination. But I think what they're saying is that Facebook is kind of doomed. And so they're in this sort of desperate, even though they're making billions and billions the of end, dollars. Yeah,
2: the end, yeah you could see the yeah. end in sight with your age thing.
0: Yeah, whereas TikTok is the opposite. It scales very low. Like, my fucking kids are into TikTok. A lot of people, young folks are into TikTok. You know, Instagram is kind of like the middle ground. Twitter is where people go to throw shit at each other. Yeah, You know? Uh, Here it is. Facebook misled investors about shrinking user base. Complaint to SEC, Facebook mishandling of duplicate accounts was extensive fraud. So what is it saying about uh, user base? Uh, Facebook misleading investors about shrinking teen and young adult user bases and about the actual number of Facebook users. Former employee Francis Haugen alleged a whistleblower complaint. Do, 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 do. Facebook stock valuation is based almost entirely on predictions of future advertising revenue. The company cites evidence showing that Facebook has for years past and ongoing, violated U.S. securities laws by making material misrepresentations and omissions in statements to investors and prospective investors, including through filings with the SEC, uh, testimony to Congress, online statements, and media stories, Facebook has misrepresented core metrics to investors and advertisers, including the amount of content produced on its platform. What does it say about single users, accounts, old people? Where does it say? Against. Oh, here it is. Um, it failed to disclose internal data showing a contraction of the user base in important demographics, including American teenagers and young adults. The company has also hidden to the extent of which content production per user has been in long term decline, the complaint said. But obviously, these are allegations from a whistleblower. We don't know if they're true. So.
2: Take That's a good that. little bit of news thing there. You put that in the end.
0: Yeah, you got to, because who the fuck knows? She yeah. might be crazy. And apparently, she's uh, donated a lot of money to AOC and like some oh, heavy it. duty left wing. And she yeah. was like upset that if you are a young woman, this is a, a very good complaint, a valid complaint. It's if you're a young woman, Facebook will it will if you have issues with uh, anorexia, Facebook will send you anorexia content your mm. way, which may yeah. exacerbate someone's. Uh, predilection towards anorexia it's fucking terrifying they're the people that get it the worst apparently is young girls young girls get social media they get the impact of social media worse than anybody they according to Jonathan Haidt in the coddling of the American Mind he he talked about that that higher suicide rates self-harm all that stuff the bullying online bullying young girls are the victims of that more than yeah I
2: read a statistic that uh of teenage girls, I can't remember, like a pretty staggering majority of teenage girls go to sleep at night with some level of anxiety about social media. Yeah. I can only imagine. But, you know, you know our, our kids now, they don't, they're don't, they not on social media, and they don't read the news, so they don't know that everybody hates everybody now. <laughs> and when they see someone coming down the road- <laughs> They wave. And their head is like, yeah, this guy's probably not bad. Yeah. Let's go talk to that guy. <laughs> well, that was, like
0: <laughs> they're what we were totally, saying-
2: They're totally cool with everybody, you know? <laughs> and no one's really let them
0: down yet. The amount of things that Facebook has influence on, having owned have They own WhatsApp, they own Instagram, they own Facebook, and this gigantic multimedia empire. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's enormous. There
2: was an argument But you have to In some way, you have to sit and, be, and acknowledge that they made a thing. Mm-hmm. They made a thing that's useful. Yep. And for, for me, as like a as a content producer, me as a, a, a media personality, I'm able to use the tools they made and reach people that I otherwise wouldn't make. Yep. So it's like I can't. I have. To, I can't be like unbridled in my hatred when, but I didn't come up with the thing. Right. Someone else came up with it, and it's very useful. Yep. Yeah.
0: There's a real good argument there, but there's also an argument that it needs some sort of regulation. Because in other countries, they've used it to uh, have people murdered, to lie about – to to, to overthrow governments. They've used it to uh, put out – like political rivals have put out false information completely unchecked
2: that's led people to kill people and overthrow – Sure, but you could make the same condemnation of our First First Amendment rights. You could – you yes, can say like it's, but it doesn't. People use for their First Amendment privileges, and it could create creates riots. They use their First Amendment privileges, and it radicalizes people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just gotten too far. It's well, it's too much now. It's too much influence,
0: right? The idea is that uh, first of all, uh, Facebook comes on phones in a lot of countries. Like, in a lot of countries, they make deals with cellular providers so that, like, if you buy a phone. It was like or- when
2: U2 was able to put that album on all those iPhones.
0: <laughs> yeah, remember how mad people got? That was probably the worst thing that oh, U2 think- ever did.
2: Oh, dude. That thing's still, like, can, you can't, yeah. Like, now and then, my, when I turn my truck on, it somehow, like, finds that album yeah. still. <laughs> like, what? Stop <laughs> that.
0: When the Bluetooth syncs up and just randomly plays a song. Yeah. yeah that's like, that's a- not on my fucking playlist. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a, well, boy, what a fucking bad PR move that was. Yeah. I mean, look, these conversations are interesting and you're right. There's no like definitive yes or no good or bad Mm -hmm. because they're new. They're really new discussions. They, they, you know, there hasn't been a hundred years of social media influence where we get to have an understanding of what kind of impact this has on our society.
2: Yeah. And I still feel like I'm like a, a mouse in someone's kitchen, man, like that I'm able to be in there doing my shit. You yeah. haven't been <laughs> found out yet. Yeah, thrown out. I get it so too,
0: especially with your line of business. And then when you see these new regulations that YouTube's putting out, and you realize, like, oh, well, this yeah. is this might be a real fucking problem.
2: Oh yeah, it's it, when I look at people who their livelihood is built strictly around YouTube, it feels like uh, oh my God, does it feel vulnerable to me? Very Unless you're on there showing like how to make you know crochet or like make yeah bead bracelets and shit i don't know
0: are you doing those videos like sniper wolf does
2: where you're reacting to
0: things like oh my god did you see that oh my god like she's funny and she's
2: silly it's g-rated yeah so maybe you're not yeah but I, i think there's a lot of people that i look and i'm like man you being in the you being what you're into yeah and that you're only doing it there yeah I'd have a hard time resting at night. (laughs) I would feel like someone, like the man, was coming for you.
0: That influenced my decision to leave uh, and go to Spotify, for sure. I didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust, I didn't even trust Apple. I didn't trust the, because I knew that there were certain episodes, like when uh, Alex Jones came on my podcast once, the ratings went down. Like mm-hmm. there was no, they would no update in the ratings for like a week. When I tell you it was my biggest podcast at that point in time, I think eventually Elon Musk became bigger and a few other ones became bigger, but at that time when Alex came on for episode nine eleven, it was not just the biggest, but it was the biggest by far. And so But that there, wasn't reflected. Not only was it not but reflected, there was no ratings. The ratings stopped, and then when it came back... That episode was ranked like, you know, number five or six or something like that. Where other episodes where uh. I knew what the downloads were, were number two or one. I'm like, how is that? Yeah, Well, they're doing some shenanigans. They didn't want that episode. I think somebody, I don't know if it's true. I might be wrong. But I think somewhere, someone didn't want that episode to be number one. Because the numbers were crazy. It was like 16, 18 million downloads. It was nuts. And it was because it was a wild, chaotic, you know, alcohol and marijuana-fueled conspiracy ride with a, a maniac.
2: Yeah. You well, know? At, a, at a certain level of influence, you know that people do – at a certain level of influence, there are people that are able to pay detailed attention to very specific things. Um, I'm sure – like, I wouldn't be uh, shocked to hear that, that – That your show drew some special level of attention the same way that there were people at Twitter assigned to Trump's tweets. For sure. Yeah. And then all the other – you could write insane stuff that would never get discovered. Yeah. But at a point, you're like someone is forced to pay attention.
0: It, it It had gotten to the point where the show was always number one. So the episodes were always number one. So if it was always number one and then he came on and it was number one, that became a problem and then it was the numbers were so high you know it it was uh it was a it was an interesting moment but it was also like i mean they were great they never really they never censored me they never told me what to do or what not to do no episodes ever got taken down i mean apple is essentially they're just an aggregator, right? they are they're saying
2: Apple never took your episodes down. Never. Yeah. Never
0: once. Never censored anything. Never gave me a hard time. Never uh, never gave any sort of uh, criticism or anything. They were great. But they're, they they did a weird thing where they never really got involved financially in podcasts. And I think it's a tremendous mm-hmm. business mistake. Tremendous yeah. business mistake. Well, they're mistake.
2: trying to rectify that now in a way that won't be so, maybe so great for producers. Yeah, what are they trying to do now? Oh, just like move away from move away from applying that that is just like a, a, a random distributor. Like if they were to do some kind of paywall situation, yeah. what it would do to down you know, what it would do to download numbers.
0: It's hard to get people to pay. There's too much shit that's out there for
2: free. You know, there's so much good content today.
0: There's a million podcasts. A million. I mean if you go back to the day where uh, Friends was the number one show in the country or Seinfeld was the number one show in the country. How many fucking shows were there? Was there 20? I mean, how many fucking shows were there? How many shows, what's like number one? I mean, what what is in prime time? I mean, Jesus Christ, you have seven days a week, and you have uh, three hours every night, or whatever prime time is. And mm-hmm. out of all those shows, that's not a lot. You know, we got 50 shows, and then you got, uh, you know, the cable networks, which don't, you know, really get the same kind of numbers back then. And then you have a show that's number one, All these things are sanctioned. Everything is on a network. Everything is on a network that's broadcast through the government's pipes. Everything is all like censored and there's advertising that's inserted. And this is a wild west of content Mm -hmm. where anyone can have something and anyone can put, and a lot of them are good. So if you have a million shows, which is really what there is right now, for someone to come along and say, I want you to pay. Good fucking luck. Good fucking luck. I mean, even if you have a really good show. Yeah. Even if you have the best show. Like, if this show, if, if, if I did that with, I'm not saying my show's the best show, but if I did, it's, it's very highly rated, right? If I decided to make people pay for it, I would lose almost everybody. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Almost, every, unless I was the victim of some sort of censorship and I was a martyr. And then I put it on my website and I had everybody download it from there and, you know, make sort of some sort of a contribution. And, you know, that's the only way we could keep it alive. <laughs> oh, then, yeah. then you could get people to realize, like, fuck the man, man. And they would probably uh, jump in. What is this? There's two million, two million podcasts. Wow, I'm wrong. I'm wrong by a million. As of <laughs> 2021, there's over two million podcasts and more than 48 million podcast episodes. Holy shit. This is pretty startling growth, considering there was just over 500,000 active podcasts from just three years ago in 2018. That's what's nuts. These podcast statistics are completely in line with the fact that podcasts are slowly going mainstream. Bitch, that's mainstream. That is mainstream. That is not slowly going mainstream. You know, in fact, it's estimated that 78% of the US population is now aware of what a podcast is are from 64% in 2008. They're slow playing this. Because the reality is 75% of the listening, there's a lot of people listening to the podcast. We, have re- we regularly get episodes at 10, 11 million downloads, it's normal. It's like the, the number of people that are tuning in to shows is crazy. It's it's crazy. There's But it's still just a tiny piece of the population. You know, you're going worldwide, there's 330 whatever the fuck million people there are in this country. Yeah. And then worldwide, you're dealing with 8 billion. Really 11 million is just like a tiny little drop in the bucket.
2: Uh do you imagine you'll be doing a podcast in 10 years? If you had to guess?
0: I don't think like that. I never thought I would be doing this 10 years ago. Well, I'm inviting
2: you to think like that. Yeah,
0: I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering. <laughs> I don't know why not cuz I do enjoy it. Yeah. When I stop enjoying it, you know, I mean, I don't want to mention any names, but there's certain people that do shows where people feel like they're phoning it in. If anybody ever really feels like I'm phoning it in, I'll stop. Yeah. If I feel like I'm phoning it in, I'll definitely stop. Or I'll stop phoning it in. But I don't think I'm ever going to stop wanting to have conversations with people. Yeah. Like, if I can have you and you and I just talk, I always want to talk to you. You're an interesting dude. If we get a camera on us and other people can get in on it and they enjoy it, like, there's someone out there on a treadmill right now enjoying the shit out of this. That's what I, I like that. I like it. You're providing something that people actually enjoy. Yeah. As long as it's enjoyable to me, I think it'll still be enjoyable to other people because- enthusiasm, like genuine enthusiasm is contagious, you know, and I find that if I watch someone that's cooking on TV or someone that's making things or someone that's talking about something they're passionate about, even I have zero interest in it, if it's a genuine enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. which is why when I do this show, I don't do it based on famous people. I don't do it. I don't try to get people that I know will get big ratings. There's zero consideration of
2: that. I've always appreciated that about you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm only a little teeny bit famous, to Come on.
0: <laughs> well, I'm always interested in talking to you. My interest is in my interests, you know. Yeah, so if yeah. I I don't, and I've had that was a, one of the interesting conversations in the beginning, like with Netflix, like who are they going to be the episodes? Who's going to be the first week? Like, what are the big names for the first week? I'm like, there's not that's not happening. Yeah, there's not going to be any of that. There's not going to be any of that. We're going to try to set it up and make. I don't think like that. And because I don't think like that, it stays, I hate the word organic, but it stays organic. Mm Because it's just, I I like talking to people. I like talking to interesting people. And as long as I think they're interesting, I want to talk to them. Whether it's a fucking author that no one's ever heard of, that has some book that's interesting, or a photographer that covers wars, or, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever. A a comic that no one ever heard of, but I think they're talented. That's what I want to do. So I'm going to keep doing it. As long as I keep... I mean, maybe it won't be interesting to other people. Or maybe way less people will find it interesting because the, the medium will have shifted and it'll it have moved on. But I didn't do it in the beginning ever thinking it would be the number one podcast in the world. I did it thinking like, oh, it'd be good to get high with my friends and talk shit, you know? And here we are. Wow. F- fucking... How many thousand? What are we? One thousand something? 17, 17.
2: Really? Yeah. I, I think I've told you this every time I've been on your show, but the... <laughs> You know Helen Cho. yes, very The well. first time I ever heard the word someone say "podcast" <laughs> was Helen Cho" in reference to you.: Yeah, I, I could take you and show you where she was sitting and where I was sitting. I think that was 2011 when we met, right? I was like, a what? She's like, just just listen. You just don't, don't just go. I was like, "What is that?" Uh, you know, probably said something about how it sounds like a stupid idea. I, I don't know whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You were Dude. You were in it early. Early. Yeah, 2009. Yeah. And I wouldn't have gotten into it without your encouragement.
0: I knew you should get into it right away. The first time we ever did one, I'm like, wow, that guy's interesting. Because I enjoyed your show, The Wild Within, before you ever did Meat Eater. I remember watching you make a fucking boat out of some moose skin and going down a river and Mm -hmm. the whole deal. And I was like, wow, that's fucking cool. Well show and interesting yeah. kind of subjects and and before you had ever taken me hunting I'd always had this fascination with hunting I'd w- always watched like Ted Nugent's Spirit of the Wild yeah, and I'd yeah. watched a bunch of these hunting shows because I would be like but that's probably the best way to eat mm. like to get the meat yourself that way you really understand where it's coming from versus this weird sort of separation between you and the act of the animal dying where you don't really understand what you're doing you're just eating meat
2: you know? one of the two times I thought my career was over was uh when my when that wild within show on travel channel didn't take off what's the other time well my first book didn't take off
0: hmm the buffalo book
2: no no my first book was called scavenger's guide to oak cuisine oh that's right, that's right but that book's still in print man yeah no I, in the end <laughs> in the end no but it, when it came out it didn't um i had all the i had tons of media around it just no one uh-huh. bought the damn book man I thought I was over, you know, there's like this, I don't know if it's, he actually said it, there's this thing that's always attributed to Woody Allen Man, maybe he said it all like something to the effect of like his movies are always good enough that they let him make another one.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I and I felt for a
2: minute that my book hadn't done good enough to get to make another one, but then someone took a bet on me again and I was able to make a book, that, a successful book. But yeah, that doing that while within on travel channel, dude, we were, it was, we, they ordered eight episodes. They ran them all but we were i mean we just wrapped the eighth episode okay i mean i was in the we were like getting in a car to go to the airport from the location where we were filming in west texas and i got a call that uh they were not it was effectively canceled even though they ran they, they ran some through and i and that and i thought that somehow um I thought that somehow like you were done. Yeah. You were we done. Could have been. But it, at that in that year too, um, you still had to jump through all the the hoops. Yeah. And, yeah, was, and um... I was just didn't realize it, like emerging into a thing where like you said, like the wild west or or you you're in the open ocean or whatever the hell. Like I was just emerging into a place where like the time lined up to that, that you didn't need to be you could still do things yeah you could still do things otherwise like i don't know a decade earlier 20 years earlier or something you would had to go crawl into a hole man
0: yeah well i was a part of tv that decade earlier when you had to get cast on a sitcom or you know fear factor i had to get cast on that and that's the only way people got to know who you were you had to do something else you had to do something
2: I could never even believe that those dudes, I was kind of shocked when the guy bought that show. How come? Because like, he could, like, came in, he came from an unexpected background, didn't last long, bought some shows, none of them took off. Uh, we, we didn't know what, we had no idea what that show was about. It was kind of a mess. It was fun, but it was kind of a mess. And then then like when that was over and we started making Meat Eater, I was like, I, I had learned enough from that while with NBS to like understand very well what I wanted to make yeah, and it was going to be extremely stripped down Mm. and it was going to be like, and I was going to have a very high, like a, a, you know, very high level of influence over everything that happened. Well, I remember, I, I learned enough, I learned enough to know that.
0: I remember a conflict that you talked to me about where they tried to release an animal so that you could shoot it. Like they wanted to guarantee that you got a moose, so they were going.
2: Oh yeah, well that yeah it was a conversation where someone we were talking about we were talking about how much time it takes, and I remember it was early on before we started the film, and this I'm not gonna name who it was, but this producer said, um, I was like, well you know you just don't know it takes time and all this, and he's like, that's why there's animal wranglers. <laughs>
0: And your show is the opposite of that now because some of your best episodes are unsuccessful
2: episodes. Uh, yeah.
0: One of my favorite ones are the one that you're talking about your dad. Uh, there's no music and you're on the top of a mountain just discussing
2: things. It was like, yeah, Sky Island Solitaire. Yeah. Or some play on Edward Abbey's Desert Solitaire. Uh, yeah. Um, man, I used to be worried sick about those ones, but. Those they, are
0: some of the best ones. Yeah, they were. Yeah, some of the best ones. And we, it's call also, them, we call them skunkers. Yeah, but they're some of the most realistic, too, because that's really what happens. That's mm-hmm. part of the thing. You know, it's one of the reasons why it's so interesting because it's difficult, and that's like i said I said earlier, I think that's one of the things that's hardest to convey when you're just seeing a success, and then the success is always towards the end. It's like it's all like you expect it like a movie, you want the good guy, the good guy's going to win, he's James Bond, he's going to survive, you know, and sometimes no.
2: I feel like I should get all circumspect about media right now but I don't know. <laughs>
0: like, It's in, you know media reflects uh, the culture at a certain point in, in its ability to express itself uh-huh. and the culture has shifted its ability to express itself radically because of the internet you know this podcast is a, a, a great example of that there's nothing w- could have existed like this 20 years ago your podcast is another great example of that like you found your niche in that stream you know, you you caught that wave and, you know, you wrote it out. Like, perfect timing. Like, mm-hmm. from the Wild Within, the Meat Eater, to podcasting, whoo, to the Meat Eater empire now. It's all internet-based, all influenced, all, you know, all of it with these d- different streams of distribution. It's fascinating. Oh.
2: Yeah. Uh, my oldest boy, my wife said the other day that uh, he was saying that he hopes um, meat eater sticks around long enough for you know him to get involved. <laughs> and we had a good laugh about uh, it's it. It's great. But I was like, oh man, I don't know, buddy. I bet it will. You might need to. I bet it will. Yeah, I just I I, I keep encouraging him to join the military. <laughs> really? Okay. Oh, <yeah>. For discipline. <laughs> uh, just you know, yeah, something. I think I think I have I have a guilty con. I, I was very close. Uh, my dad served. Um, I was very, very close to going in the military and I, I feel like I've had, a—I have a guilty conscience mm. and this thing happened to me, uh, where years ago I was invited by someone to go down to give a talk at Fort Bragg it was a third special forces group it was in Fort Bragg. And I went down to give a talk and, uh, and it was interesting because uh, I, I call them kids or not kids. They're all guys in the about a decade younger than I was, 30, early 30s. And um, sitting there in front of these guys talking to them, and these are people that had come out of high school. Uh, they came out of high school post 9-11 and went into the military, did all their training, became Green Berets, and had spent their entire adult life either training for or in Afghanistan. In Iraq, since they were eighteen, wow. And one of these guys, at one point, he he, he opens up the Fort Bragg um, phone book, like an actual physical phone book. And we got to talk, and he opens it up, and he's like, goes to the divorce attorney section in that phone book, and just pages and pages. You know what I mean? <laughs> And you realize just the enormous um like the enormous cost and the enormous sacrifice and uh yeah, I've always felt like I, I was so close and didn't do it. it's always bugged me, like I feel little like like chicken shit that I didn't mm. do it, and I feel like other people had to do like a thing that that uh didn't happen for me, and so yeah, maybe in some way I want. You know, I, I I would like him to go set the record straight for the family. But you know, my old man, he was one of the biggest voices against. He didn't understand why would you enlist when there's no war. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? That was his <laughs> that was his take <laughs> on it. Because he enlisted during the war. Right,
1: right.
0: He's
2: like, well, if there's a war, you enlist. But I mean, if there's no war, I mean, what what are you going to do down there? And I just listened. I listened to him. You know. But yeah, man. Uh, I don't know, I mean he's a little kid. I'm not gonna lean on him too hard about it, but but I feel like he would be setting things back right again. <laughs> but do you feel like you're worried that you
0: might want him to do something that maybe he wouldn't do otherwise because you didn't do it and you feel guilty
2: He He's young he's of age where I could kind of say i mean if he was seventeen, I'd probably handle this conversation differently. Mm-hmm. you know, if he was seventeen and going for it, then um you know but when he says like what he's going to do or whatever i for whatever reason my my instinct is to encourage him to go into service
0: let's talk figure it out <laughs> we'll figure it out in a few years yeah he's Maybe got to wind got a while. Up be with you i got to wrap this up yeah, i got sure. to end this i got to get out of here it's always a pleasure um Tell everybody where they could find Meat Eater. It's themeateater.com because you guys still haven't bought Meat Eater.com. Oh, dude, it's such a long,
2: that. weird story, man. But no, themeateater.com um, is a great place to go. I'm on Instagram at, at Steve Marnella. Uh If you go to you know, wherever you could buy books, go to Apple Books or whatever. Um, and get the American Buffalo audio version
0: because you finally do the the yeah do that but 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 mainly right
2: now go and uh mainly right now go get get meat eaters campfire stories close calls and then also we're doing a fundraiser right now um at the meat eater.com where we're doing a fundraiser for our land access initiative where we raise money to uh improve and enhance places where you hunt and fish and we got a big auction going on right now we got a signed guitar from luke combs we got all the kinds of Uh, like a raccoon hide, antelope skull and stuff, all used on the episodes, all up for auction. Um, You can buy Giannis Patelis' first pheasant tail, knives, uh, all kinds of stuff. And we're going to use all that for our land access initiative.
0: All right. Awesome. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody.